God, because uh, if you really believe this book and you studied this book, we would be doing different things than what we're doing today. Uh, you know, it, it's amazing uh, what the Lord does when you really get to where you believe. So let's come to the Heavenly Father. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus today, Lord, I once again want to tell you how much I love you, how much I worship you, how much I praise you, and, and Lord, how thankful I am for the privilege to share the things you have revealed to me one more time with your people, your bride, of which I am a part. I am a living stone in this living temple that you've built, that you're building here on this earth. And what a privilege it is to share the truth of the word of God that you have revealed to me with men and women. And Lord, today I ask you to give these that come more revelation on your word than they have had before. I ask you to open their understanding, their hearts, so that they will learn more about who they are and what they can do in the mighty name of Jesus. Now, Satan, I rebuke you and I command you to leave this place and every demonic spirit that come in here right now, I command every demonic spirit to leave this place and not one single demon steal one single word out of a single person's heart or their mind in this place today in the name of Jesus. Now, I worship you and praise you and thank you, Father, for sending Jesus to be the substitute for me and for this season, Lord, that I'm, that we are entering into right now, that we entered into the beginning of this week, the magnificent events that was going on in hell approximately 2,000 years ago as Jesus' human spirit lay in the lowest hell, paying the price for me and for each one of these people that's here today so your wrath would not come upon us. We worship you and we praise you and we thank you for that. We're so grateful, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Now then, I, I realize that if we think about this season that we call, or at least so many people do, call Easter, I don't even like for that term to be on my lips. I like to call it the Feast of First Fruits, because that's what the Word of God calls it, the Feast of First Fruits. You know, it's amazing how this, I studied the Word of God as a Sunday school teacher and everything. I remember one night I was preparing to teach a Sunday uh, lesson on Easter. And uh, I was going back and doing some research. And as I was going back and doing my research and everything, I just came upon something and I thought, wonder what that means when it says that at this particular time of day, that at between the oblations of the evening, these things happened. And... I thought, wonder what does all that mean? You know, you, you read these things and you don't know what they mean. And so you go back and you start researching the scriptures. And as I went back and began to read all those things, and I began to get a little bit of information on what the Lord had told the high priest to do whenever they come out of the Passover, when they came to the Passover, and how they were supposed to do it, and what time of day they were supposed to kill the lamb, and what he was supposed to say, and everything... And as I began to put these in a parallel with what Jesus was doing, I thought, what a coincidence. <laughs> really, right? What a coincidence that Jesus did all those same things at exactly the same time and said the same things. I thought, what a coincidence. Let me tell you, there was no coincidence. It was planned like that before the foundations of the world that he would become our Passover lamb. But I had so little knowledge in that realm. I really didn't know what he was doing. And 
I, I remember when I was a, a little 11 year old boy in a little church and little country church in a little country town of Cross Plains, Texas. That night when I came under conviction and I walked down that aisle and accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I didn't have a clue what it meant to receive eternal life. I mean, I didn't have a clue. I knew I was saved. I didn't even know what I was saved from. You know, I didn't have any idea of the power that had just been put upon me. I had no knowledge of who I was in Christ. But <clears throat> as a young man, as I continued to read a little, you know, go to church, I, I mean, the, the beautiful part about my life that I, I'm so grateful that when I go back and check the ancestry of my family on both sides, my mother's family was wonderful Christian people. They loved God. There was no drunks, no drug addicts, and a handful of preachers. And my daddy's side, this last year I got with my aunt, which is 80-something years old, and we went back all the way to the 1600s. In her family line, my dad's side, and I couldn't believe how many preachers they was in the family line. And I'm going to tell you that my mother and father got married when my mother was 20 and my dad was 21 years old, and they lived together, and four children was born out of those next few years, of which only two of us still are alive. Mother and dad were married 55 years, uh, never had any problems, at least not that I knew of, I'm going to tell you that as a young boy being raised up in a good Christian home, I never heard my daddy speak a word of profanity in his life. I never heard my daddy say anything above a normal tone of voice to my mother. I never heard my mother or my father raise their voice to any of us kids. Isn't that awesome? That's right. But... I was raised up in a wonderful home of which I thought everybody in the world lived like we did. I mean, you know, when I, when I graduated from high school, there was a little class of 25 people, and every one of those boys and girls had the same mother and father. You know, same one, you know. We lived in a little tiny town of about a thousand people, and people there were pretty much Christian. You know, they, we walked with God. We, the thing to do is go to church on Sunday. The normal thing to do during the week is we worked, we loved one another, people didn't run around and drink and cheat and cuss and raise hands. Well, there was a few of those kind of people, but I wasn't associated with those kind of people. So I just thought the whole world was just a great place to live. You know, I mean, I had the most perfect life at home you can imagine. And so I grew up in a home that it was easy for me to know what the love of the Father is because I had a father that would love me. I had a mother that loved me just unconditionally, such a great woman. I mean, my mother, when my mother died at 83 years of age in that little town she was raised up in, the First Baptist Church of Goldsley, Texas, which is about three or four times this size, you couldn't seat the people that came to her funeral. That'll tell you something, don't it? That woman loved people. She ministered to people. She never spoke an evil word about anybody. Never. So that's what I was raised up in. That's why it's so easy for me to believe God's Word. That's why it's so easy for me whenever I read something in God's Word. If my daddy, which was a man, told me he was going to do something for me, he always done it. Not sometimes. 
That's like one night, I remember, I'd been out when I got to be 15, 16 years old or something, I'd got me a little car, and I, in fact, I remember it was a little 39 Ford Coupe, and I had run a universal joint in that thing, it wore out, and I pulled the rear end out from under that thing, and I put a new U joint in it, and I was trying to get it to stab in there, and I could not get that thing, that whole mess. I was a young person trying to learn how to be a mechanic, and I, I worked on it till 8 or 9 o'clock that night, and I was wore out, and I finally told Mother, I said, Mom, when Dad comes in, he's still out driving his bulldozers and chaining brush and everything. He's working hard today and running his service stations and everything else. So I'd already gone to bed before Dad come in that night. It must have been 11 o'clock when he come in. I told Mama, I said, whatever you do, wake me up, have Dad wake me up in the morning. I got to have him stab that rear end on that little car so I can fix that tomorrow so I can use it. She said, okay, I'll tell him. Well, the next morning, I got up, time to go to school, and I said, Mom, why didn't you wake me up? She said, well, I told Dad. And he said, uh, oh, well, he just let you sleep and said he knew you needed your sleep. I said, but, Mom, I needed my car fixed. She said, well, I don't. He walked by out there and looked at it and said he was out there about five minutes that he got in his truck and drove off. I said, oh, Mom, I can't believe it. He didn't wake me up. I go out there and look at the car, and it's stuck in, two bolts in it, ready to go. All I got to do is finish it. That's the kind of dad I was raised up with. You know, so whenever you're raised up with a dad like that, a dad that loves you, a dad will give you anything he's got, help you do anything, anytime, and a mother the same way when you grow up, when you open this magnificent book we call the Word of God, and you realize that he's my father. He loves me much more than my earthly dad does. And if my earthly dad told me he would do things, then he never failed me. And if God made me these promises, I couldn't understand why the church didn't believe these promises. I mean, as I begin to read the Word of God and go to church every Sunday, I begin to see things in this book. I thought, why don't we teach these things in church? Why is it we just hit a few little places in this book? I don't understand this. And so, I mean, I became a Sunday school teacher. I mean, you know, to start off with, after I got back from Vietnam, I graduated from high school, but uh, I went in business for myself. And then Uncle Sam called me, and I had to go to the war. So I was in, turned out to be in the military four years. And I came back from Vietnam in 1965. And so I decided to go back to school. So I went back to school and, and a few years graduated, and then came back and started teaching engineering in Dallas to a group of engineers. Well, I had learned a lot of things. And then, uh, of course, my wife and I were going to church there at Lakeland Baptist Church uh, in Louisville. And a man, the church administrator, came to me and he said, Thurman, I've been praying for an adult uh, teacher, and your name keeps coming up. <clears throat> I said, now, I, I understand that God's not supposed to make mistakes. And he said, well, no, he don't. Why? I said, well, if he wants me to teach a Sunday school class, he made a mistake. And I said, I can't do that. He said, well, but your name keeps coming up. So he said, why don't you go home and pray about this? So I went home and I said, Lord, I can't teach a Sunday school class. I said, Lord, I can take this book and teach engineering. Now, these formulas and things don't bother me. But Lord, I mean, if, if, if I make a mistake in aeronautical engineering, I might cost a few people their life in an airplane. But if I make a mistake in this Bible, this could cost somebody's eternity. And then I got to realizing, well, if I don't do it, if somebody else is doing it, it's going to cost them their eternity anyway. I thought, okay, Lord, I know I can't do this, but I'm going to ask you to do this through me, and I'm going to start studying this book. Now, I had read the, the Bible, lots of it, not all of it at that time, but I, I didn't know anything about the Bible. I'm going to be here to tell you, I really, at that time, didn't know anything. And so, for me to take a 45-minute Sunday school class on Sunday morning, 
I would spend 5, 10, 15 hours a week minimum reading and studying the Bible to teach a 45-minute Bible study class. Well, guess who began to learn? Just right, me. And the things I began to learn in this book blew me away. And then I got to thinking, why don't we teach all of this? Because we never teach it in church. And so we would have a doctor of theology over uh, from the seminary or something, and after he'd get through preaching, I'd I'd attack him that morning and say, i got a couple of questions I want to ask you if you got a couple of minutes. And I'd say, let me turn over to a certain place, and I'd turn over to a great promise. I mean, you you take a promise that's so magnificently wonderful in the Word of God, since I've learned that my father and your father, he means what he says. I take this magnificent promise, and I turn over there, and I say, let me ask you this question, sir. I have been in church all my life, and we've never taught this verse in a Sunday school class or in the worship center that I have ever heard. I said, they might have done it on the Sunday I wasn't here, but let me read this magnificent promise to you in Matthew 18, 19, and I want you to tell me what you can do with this verse. I said, look here, Jesus is speaking, and he says, again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for, it will be done for you by my Father, which is in heaven. I said, what does he mean by that? And they would spend 30 minutes explaining away what God said in one line. I said, but you know, he said, well, but Thurman, you know that he might not mean that, you know, you know, but, but he said, he said, I could ask anything. Well, yeah, but you know, you're going to have to ask anything according to his will. Then I said, what's according to his will? He said, anything. I mean, that's what he said. Well, I couldn't get no answers. And so one day I said, Lord, I mean, I have every time a seminary professor comes over here, and these people are supposed to know what they're talking about. They're teaching our men in our seminaries. My doctor uh, of theology, which is standing up there preaching to me every Sunday morning, he's been over there and got his Ph.D. from over there, and he gives me the same kind of answers. And when I ask him about these kind of things, whatever, well, he don't give me the answer that you said either. So I said, somebody's got to be wrong here, Lord. I said, I don't understand what it is. So I said, Lord, I'm just going to start believing you. I said, my own earthly father that would make me a promise, if he told me he was going to do something, dad always did it for me. If mother told me she would do something for me, I mean, she would, you know, just just like when my sister got killed in a car wreck, my sister and her husband had had three little boys, just one right after the other, only about a year apart. And those three little boys, whenever my sister was killed at a young age in a head-on automobile accident by a carload of drunks that passed a truck coming up a hill and killed her, there was a young man in town there. He had good intentions. But he came out and he said, Miss Scrivener, just in case Ricky, which was only five months old when my sister was killed, said, if y'all can't take care of Ricky, he said, I would love to adopt him. And my mother was real nice to him. But after he left, she turned to me and said, Thurman, I will scratch with the chickens to feed these babies. Nobody will ever have one of my babies. I will scratch with the chickens to feed these boys. That's a mama that loved her grandbabies, wasn't it? That's the kind of home I was raised up in. So anyway, as I was raised up with that and that kind of love, when I would read scriptures in the Word of God that says, My Heavenly Father, you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give to you that ask? But I asked and nothing happened. I said, Lord, I don't understand this. 
I don't understand why I come and ask for things and nothing happens. I just, I just don't understand this. You cannot lie. You, you, I've read in here, you can't lie. But I said, Lord, I ask and it doesn't happen. And then I begin to understand where the Lord says, when you ask, you must thank me for the answer and you must believe you have received with no doubt in your heart. I said, Lord, I'm not sure I understand that. So one day, <clears throat> I had a young man that uh, I was over at their home one night, and this had been many years ago, and a young man walked in, son of this man that was him and his wife went to church with us, good friends of ours, and on the back of his hand, he had great big white blotches on the back of his hand. I said, Cliff, what's wrong with you? He said, oh, Mr. Scrivener, I've got all these big old warts on the back of my hand. And I said, uh, how would you like to get rid of those warts? He said, well, that's what I've been doctoring them and everything else. You know, I, I, of course I want to get rid of them. But he said, nothing seems to work. I said, write your full name down on a piece of paper for me. So he wrote Clifton Wayne Hurley down on a piece of paper. Now then, he said, what are you going to do? I said, they're going to come off. I guarantee it. He said, what do you mean? I said, don't worry about it. In a few weeks, you won't have a ward on your hand. So I left there that night, and I went home, and I got down on my knees, and I read a magnificent promise in the Word of God. When you go to the Word of God and you look at John 14, 13 and 14, I want you to look at that in your Bible. I want you to tell me what that verse says. John chapter 14, verse 13 and 14. <clears throat> and I want you to just tell me yourself. Maybe your Bible read different than mine. You know, I don't know. But uh, this is a wonderful promise to me. And I want somebody to read that out loud to me so that we'll see if your Bible reads about like mine does. Would you read that, young lady? And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son, and if he ask anything in my name. Hey, yours read just like mine did. <laughs> now, now, with that promise, ladies and gentlemen, what did the Lord say you could ask for? I mean, did, did he really mean that? So then why do we let the enemy, as sons and daughters of the king, why do we let the enemy beat up on us so? With those kind of promises. So I took that promise in fear and trembling and fell on my knees and I said, Father... On behalf of that verse, I ask you, Father, in the name of Jesus, to remove those warts from the back of the hands of Philip, I mean, not Philip, of uh, Clifton Wayne Hurley. And I said, Lord, I have read where you told me I have to believe it with no doubt in my heart. So, Father, I want to thank you for doing it, and it's done, because it's written in your word. It cannot fail. Now then, when you come to God and call him into remembrance of his promises, just like he said in Isaiah 43, he says, Come and let us reason together. Call me into remembrance of my promises. So if you call God into remembrance of his promises, why do you think he wants you to call him into remembrance of his promises? Because he forgets them? No. What does he want to know? Do you know them? That's right. Do we know them? 
So I took the Word of God that night. Now, here's the first thing I did. What did you notice that I did when I told that young man, do you want those warts to come off of your hand? And he said, yes. I told him, they will come off. I didn't say, I'm going to go home and try this, because there's no faith in trying. I didn't tell him, I'm going to go home and I'm going to pray, and I hope God will hear, because I've learned hope never brings the king on the scene. Never. Hope is always future tense, and it never we have hope of heaven, but you don't hope that the warts will come off. You take the word of God and you find your promise that guarantees they'll come off. You ask the heavenly Father in the name of Jesus and in thanking for your answer, and it's done with no doubt in your heart. That's the way it has to be done. So, I, as little as my faith was, I prayed that prayer of faith. Asking the Father in the name of Jesus to remove those warts from the back of Clifton Wayne Hurley's hands and thank the Lord. I'd already told the young man they will come off. That was the first time that I began to believe this book. That was the first time. You know, other than accepting Jesus as my Savior. You know, I virtually had never seen a miracle of any kind. I had not seen any direct answers to prayer and especially nothing like that. But anyway, I thank the Lord that it's done. I had already told the young men when I left that night, I said, I guarantee they will come up. They will come up. Now, three weeks, my phone rang. He said, Thurman, this is Cliff. I said, praise the Lord, son, how are you doing tonight? He said, you know them warts that was on the back of my hand? I said, yeah. He said, they're gone, completely gone. I said, well, praise the Lord. You know, but I, I, after I talked to him a few minutes, I thought, Lord, now I'm beginning to get the idea the Lord made you and me another promise. or a, Well, I guess you could say it's a promise. And when you go to Hebrews 11.6, go to Hebrews 11.6 and see what your Bible says there. We'll read that whole verse of Hebrews 11.6 and then we'll just see what that does say. Because you have to have the Word of God hidden in your heart. Do you have it? What does it read, young lady? Uh, but without faith. Well, wait, without what? Faith. What is that, reckon? Huh? Okay. In other words, but with, this, this, this young lady up here said, but without faith. And she said, after what faith was, she said, it's the Word of God. It's knowing and trusting what's written in this book. But without faith, what now then? Wait a minute. But without faith or the Word of God, it is impossible to please God. Now then, let me tell you something. If I or you are just a man or a woman, now this, this little lady right here is reading right here. I really don't know her yet, but I, I know her because she's my sister in Christ. I know that. So let's just say that if she and I were to going to go somewhere to do something and there was not one single thing I did today pleased her. If not, not one thing, everything I did was offended her or did something to her. If I were to ask her to uh, stop and cook me a meal this afternoon, what do you think the chances are me getting that meal? Not too good, right? Boy, she'd really have to have the compassion and love in her heart to do that for me if I hadn't done not one single thing that pleased her all day long. But if everything I did today pleased her, if everything I did just bubbled her heart over, she thought, wow, how great a guy this is. Everything I ask him to do, he does it for me. What do you think the chances of me getting a meal then? I might not even have to ask for it, right? You see where I'm coming from? So if this scripture says without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
then we better learn what this stuff is, hasn't we? We better learn how to move the hand of the king. We better learn how to make him happy. Because if you don't please him, what do you think the chances are you getting your prayers answered? Zero. Zero. Now then, read the rest of that verse. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Wow. We must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You know what that word diligence to me means? When I first walked in the first time and began to teach engineering, the first thing as I walked into the place, the guy said, I've got two jobs for you. I said, okay. He said, I want you to teach the basic engineering course to these new guys, and it's a six-week-long course, eight hours a day, five days a week. And also, in your spare time, I want you to learn all the systems on an L-188 Lockheed four-engine turboprop aircraft. Two little jobs? Give me a break! I didn't... I mean, you know how many hours I sat through that six-week course with those people one time myself, and then I knew that the next time through, I was going to have to be the instructor. And I'm telling you, I would come home at night after I'd leave that place at four or five o'clock in the afternoon and I'd open those big thick manuals and I would read and study. I'd stop and have dinner with my wife around seven or eight o'clock and back to the books until twelve or one o'clock every night I studied like that to be able to teach that basic engineering course the first time through. And then when I got through that one time and I got to where I, after I'd been through that course three or four times, I am now learning that L-188 system by system and I'm doing the same thing. I'm spending from 5 or 6 o'clock in the afternoon, every afternoon, till 12 or 1 o'clock, my wife said, Honey, I don't see how you do this. I said, Honey, I'm going to walk in a classroom with 25 or 30 pilots, engineers and pilots, and I'm going to have to teach them these systems on this airplane, and I can't be wrong. <coughs> well, I was diligently studying that book. So in the process of my diligence of studying that and becoming an instructor that would eventually be able to teach an engineering course that just stand up there for hours and teach me in formulas and everything else and then walk into a classroom of a group of guys and take a four-engine uh, turboprop aircraft and tell you everything about that thing from the nose to the tail and then finally slip over into a DC-8 and there was not a switch or a circuit breaker or a system or an instrument or a gauge or nothing else on that airplane. I didn't know where it went and how it worked. Not one single thing. I knew everything there was to know about a DC-8 because I was teaching it. Every emergency, every internet connection, everything, every system on that airplane, I learned those airplanes inside out, upside down, and backwards. And I thought, if I can do that, surely I can learn a little bit about this book, the Word of God. But he said it requires diligence. How did I learn those airplanes? With diligence. So I began to do the same thing with this book. I began to read this book 5, 10, 15, 20 hours. And of course, now then, in the last 10 or 15 years, I have totally turned off the television except a little Christian once in a while. Totally turned off the radio except Christian radio. I never read a newspaper. I don't even look at them. I don't listen to the news. I don't do anything except study the Word of God, walk with God, serve Him, read His Word, listen to tapes about the Word of God, or listen to the Word of God itself on tape or video or audio tape. I fill my mind and my heart with the word day and night. 
That's what I think diligence means. So if the Lord says that I can please him if I come to him with diligence, and I must believe that he is, and that without faith it's impossible to please him, and when I learn what faith is, and she gave the answer right off the bat, faith is the word of God. So if faith is the word of God, then I'm, I find a promise in this book that will guarantee me something. Then I realize it took faith to get into the family of God. The, to get in to become a child of the king, you had to have faith. You have to believe with no doubt in your heart that he is, and you have to accept him. You have to believe that Jesus was your substitute. And if you really did believe that in your heart, now a lot of people give lip service to that, but they didn't really believe it. But when you really give lip service to that, and it comes from your heart, eternal life is imparted to you, and you become a daughter or a son of the king of the universe. That took faith to get there. Now once you get into that, Faith should technically not be a problem. The only thing after that is a lack of the knowledge of the Word of God. Once you become a child of God, when you become that child of God, then when you start reading your Father's Word, you believe it, and then you do what I did for a young man this last week. This last week, a young man that worked for me, him and his wife are from Vietnam. They're Buddhists. I have a prayer meeting in the place of work where I work every morning, and nearly every morning, once in a while we get busy and I don't have one, but usually we do have. And I invite all the people that will come to the prayer meeting. And John has never come to one. Never. Because he's a Buddhist. He knows I'm going to talk about Jesus in a few minutes. He knows I'm going to pray. But he never comes. Well, John and his wife had twins about a week and a half ago. She could not have those babies normally, so they had to take them for Syria. He took a week of vacation to stay at home with his wife. He called me Wednesday and said, Thurman, I have got to have another week of vacation. My wife is not doing well at all. said, she's so weak, she can't get up, she's in excruciating pain. And he said, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to have to stay home to take care of these babies because my wife can't do it. I said, John, could I pray for you? He said, yes, I need any help I can get. I said, well, John, I serve the king of the universe, God the Father, and his son's name, Jesus Christ. And I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to pray for you on behalf of John 14, 13, and 14. We read that verse a while ago, didn't we? What that verse say I could ask for? Anything I ask, anything I want. I said, so, Father, in the name of Jesus, on behalf of your word in John 14, 13, and 14, where you made me the promise I could ask for anything. I ask you to reach down by the power of the Holy Spirit and heal John's wife and do such a miracle on her that every one of them will know you did it. And I said, Lord, thank you. It's done. I said, now, John, I guarantee your wife will be up out of that bed in a very short period of time and she'll be about her business because I asked the king and the answer to every one of his promises is yes, every time. That was Wednesday. Friday, about 1 o'clock, he walked into my office, opened the door, and said, Thurman, pray. He said, Thurman, he said, you realize that my wife is up and, and, and said, right after you prayed that prayer, she was, her pain went away and said, she's already up and about going about the house. He said, my wife told me, said, you go today and you tell Thurman, thank you for that prayer. See? Now, will God even heal a Buddhist? He will if you, if you pray the prayer of faith. Now then, how many of you are willing to make a statement, take a statement like that from the Word of God, pray a prayer for someone, make a statement like that, and then guarantee them the God that you use 
his name to pray that prayer is going to heal that person and he's going to do it in a short period of time. Are you willing to make that statement? I had a guy here a while back say about Thurman. Now, wait a minute now. Maybe this time for this particular guy, God's answer is not yes. I said, you know, if God were to make it where that any time any of his promises was not yes, I could never have faith for anything. You ever stop to think about that? People said, but my son come in from a teaching at church up at Denton where he goes. Wednesday night, a college group, and uh, I said, son, where you been? He said, we've been to the church, Dad. I said, well, what, what did they do tonight? He said, we taught on prayer. I said, oh, that's a good subject. I said, did anything jump off the page? He said, well, not really. He said, uh, one thing he said was, well, sometimes God answers prayer yes, and sometimes he answers it no. It's totally up to him. I said, did he give you a verse to back that up? He said, well, no. I said, son, I want you to go upstairs. I want you to get your Bible down, and I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and I want you to read verse 18, 19, and 20. And I want you to, when you get that, when you read that, I want you to come back down and tell me how many times God says yes to his answers to his promises and how many times he says no to his promises. So he goes upstairs and he opens his Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, 19, and 20, and he reads these three verses. Now then, I want you to know that promise this young lady read here a while ago for me in, in John 14, 13, and 14, that, that absolutely was a blank check if I'm a son of God. Right, young lady? Well, that's what that was? A blank check. All I got to do is fill it in. Fill it in. But when I fill it in, I got to believe. I got to believe. Now then, this promise that he quoted me, I want you to look at that promise, and I want somebody to, to read that promise to me and see. Let's, let's uh, let this young lady right over here. Do you mind reading? I mean, if one of y'all, I, I, if, you, if anybody don't want to read and ask you to read, just tell me I don't like to read and, you know, I don't know y'all, so I don't want to, uh, cause any kind of a problem, but I know some people like to read, some don't. Would you like to read it? Okay. You see, we are not like those husbands, and there are many of them, who preach just to make money. We preach God's message with sincerity and with Christ's authority, and we know that the God who sent it is watching. Now, is that Second Corinthians 1? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I thought that's a different translation than mine. Second Corinthians 1, 18, 19, and 20. Okay. You may be asking why I changed my plan. <laughs> no, that's, that's, it's not fine. Yeah. Okay, you, you got Second Corinthians 1? Okay, 18, 19, and 20. As surely as God is trustworthy, be okay. faithful, and meaning what he says, our speech and message to you have not been yet. That might mean no, for the Son of God, Christ Jesus, the Messiah, who has been preached among you by us, by myself, Sylvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it is always the divine yes. For as many as are the promises of God, they are all they all find their yes answer in him Christ. For this reason we also utterly comment and forget to God to him that we are in the person and not the name to the glory of God. Wow. That's what you say too, huh? Wow. 
So you take a God that his word can be trusted completely, like she said in that first part of verse 18, when that word which we can trust and every promise he made in this book, no matter how many they are, in Christ the answer to you is yes every time. I mean, you think that God really loved us? Yes, he really loved us. And he filled this book with promises to tell us who we are. And I'm going to tell you, when I began to read and learn these things, and I didn't see any miracles in the church, I thought, what is wrong with us? We either don't believe this book or something is wrong. We're not standing on these verses. I don't understand. I said, Lord, if I'm reading this right, when you died on that cross, when you raised from the dead and you went back to the third heaven, you took your box up there in heaven with all these promises, and you went up on your side like that safety deposit box that I used to have down at the bank. When I'd go down to the bank, I couldn't go in. I could take my key, but I couldn't get in unless a man or a woman went with me with another key. And we two went in, and they put their key in one side, and I bought my key in another door open. I thought, Lord, if I'm looking at this right, when you went back to heaven, you put your key in your side, and you turned it. And you said, now, Father, I, because of what I, Jesus, had done for these people on the earth, I put the key in, and I told them, I give them the keys of the kingdom, and whatever they bind on earth should be bound in heaven. Whatever they loose on earth should be loosed in heaven. All the promises that we've got for them, it's all theirs. Every time, I just go ahead and put my key and open it. And if they find the key, I give them the keys. If they find the key to healing, when they put theirs in there by faith and turn it, man, it's theirs. If they find the key to salvation, when they put their key in and turn it by faith, they're saved. When they find the key to prosperity, they put the key and turn it, it's done. I've done all my work. I've done it. I'm now sitting down at the right hand of the Father. I'm through. It's up to them now. It's up to them. I've done it all. Salvation, healing, deliverance, prosperity for the church has been taken care of by the Savior. Now we have to learn how to tap into it. So I'm, I'm slowly learning how to tap into that. And so I prayed for this young boy, and I saw these warts go off of his hand. What does that kind of do to you? You know, he's getting excited, that's right. I mean, it's kind of like, you know what the first thing you want to say? Whenever you pray for somebody and you see something happen and happen, you know what the first thing you want to say? <laughs> it was a lady just like me. <laughs> I can't believe this. <laughs> well, you don't do that, but what? Because if you do that, I don't know if any of you listen to my radio show uh, on uh, every day, Monday through Friday at 1.30, but just before me, uh, uh, about an hour or whatever, Andrew Womack, he's been on the radio for years, and I just happened to be in my truck going somewhere the other day, and this man of God, I think Andrew's probably 10 years younger than I am, but anyway, he's a great young man of God. He said, the other day he was at a church, and he prayed for a young boy that was totally cross-eyed. I mean, he said that boy was so cross-eyed it was unreal. He said, I reached up and laid hands on him and commanded his eyes to be straight in the name of Jesus. And then I turned to him to say, now, son, whatever you do, believe God and your eyes will straighten up. But he wasn't ready for what happened. When he looked up, some of y'all may have heard that story. He looked up, and the minute he looked in that young man's eyes, his eyes just went straight, just like it is straight as a string. Put both of them right before his very eyes. God did a miracle on that boy. And you know what Andrew said? I can't believe it. And he said immediately, both of them crossed completely again, just like they were. He said, I fell on my knees and said, oh, God, forgive me, Lord. 
forgive me for not believing you. And he said the Lord would not straighten that boy's eyes back out. He, that boy went home with his eyes as crooked as they came in. Now then, the God that we serve, what does he demand? Belief. He demands that we believe him. And I've come to realize we don't. We don't. Now then, just in case you were to take a magnificent promise like that promise that this young lady read while ago in John 14, 13, and 14, if you take that promise and you do come to the Father in the name of Jesus, which is the only way you can enter the Holy of Holies, you can't get in there no other way, but when you come to the Father in the name of Jesus and ask him for something, if you say, well, I'm going to ask now if it be God's will for this to happen, or, Lord, if it's your will to heal this sister, or if it's your will take the warts off the back of Cliff's hand, or whatever, that means I didn't really believe that promise in John 14, 13, and 14, because he said I could ask for anything, didn't he? So if I don't believe him, then I want you to turn to James chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, and I want you to see what the Lord says he will not do for you if you don't ask in faith believing. I want you to see why I used to never get an answer to my prayer. And I want to show you why so many people in the church today don't get an answer to a prayer, because it's written in God's Word. James chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. What does that say? What, wait, let him ask in what? And again, we said that's total, complete trust and belief in the promise he made, right? Okay, let him ask in faith. Nothing wavering. Oh, nothing wavering. That means I don't say, well, Lord, let's try this, or I hope this works. That's wavering, isn't it? Nothing wavering. Okay, read on. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything in the Lord. Did everybody hear what she said? You read it in your own Bible? Did your Bible read something like hers did? You see why God don't do nothing for us? I mean, after all, he is only the king of the universe. When he got this plane built, he said, oh, by the way, I want to put a few stars out there in the cosmos for you all to look at. Just something so you'll have a little light at night to be beautiful and to remind you of who I am. And he says, and I made all the stars also. One little line over in the book of Genesis. One little line. This little tiny galaxy that we live in. The sun, which is only 96 million miles away from the earth. The earth, which is about 7,200 miles straight through. And when you get past 25 miles down, it is molten, red, hot, white, hot liquid material. The earth that you and I live on. 25 miles down. That's not very far. But it's molten, quite hot. It is spinning at about 1,000 miles an hour so that it makes one complete revolution every 24 hours and zero seconds, and it never fails. You can set your clock by it, can't you? Every day. And as it is turning at approximately 1,000 miles an hour so that it would make one revolution every 24 hours and zero seconds, you can walk outside some days and not even feel a breeze, can't you? But yet, you're rotating at a thousand miles an hour. God made that. And then, for it to stay in orbit around the sun, which is 96 million miles to the sun, 
our forward velocity is a little over 40,000 miles an hour forward velocity to make that loop around the sun every 365 and one quarter days. How many of you knew we were going forward at about 40,000 plus miles an hour? You ever stop to think about that? Every day. And then, the galaxy that we live in is revolving around the center of the cosmos at almost a half a million miles an hour. That's almost beyond mine and your comprehension, isn't it, young lady? But who made that? God. And since God made all of that, and then he made us the crown of his creation and made us just a little lower than himself and give us all these promises as his kids and then we go through life letting the enemy beat up on us because we won't take his promises and believe him. Well, as I begin to learn these promises and I begin to see them work and I begin to understand that the God that we love and serve, he really means what he says. Everyone. He tells me who I am and what I can do. But he tells me I must be obedient to him and obey him too. So I don't want to walk out there and sin because when I walk in sin, I walk out there and give the devil legal right and the devil come to kill, sell, and to destroy. And that's where so many of us are living because we want to do things our way. We don't want to worship God. We don't want to put him first. We want to do things our way. And when we do, we walk out from under his protective umbrella and the devil comes in to kill, sell, and to destroy. When you sin, you open a door to the devil and he comes in. And then once he comes in and he gets in, even though you repent, since we've been taught so wrong in the church that we don't have to cast out a demon because it's impossible for a Christian to have one. That's what's wrong with us. That's what is wrong with us. So when you realize you sin and a demon comes into you, now then, once you repent, you have to physically, with your mouth, command that spirit of whatever that came into you to leave you or he does not leave you. And you'll go through life wondering why I did all those things wrong. Why is it I can't control my thoughts here? Why is it that I seem to be going through having a good day and somebody says something, it's just like somebody pushed my button, all of a sudden I just blow up and I'm angry and violent and wild. And then a little bit later you're, why did I do that? You did it because you got a demon living in you. That's why you did it. So when you repent, you have to Go through deliverance. That's why the Lord said, In these signs shall follow those that believe. In my name you shall drive out demons. What would you think if you were sitting at home, blood washed, Holy Spirit filled, walking in the gifts of the Spirit, seeing your prayers answered? I mean, all kinds of miracles happening all around you. And you're, one night you go to your computer and you think, Lord, I was reading the other night and I saw a couple of places where it said, Spirits of lying, spirits of uh, wickedness, uh, evil spirits, spirits of... I wonder how many times that word's used in the Bible. So I go do a lookup on spirits of. Wow, blew me away. I mean, so I began it to Genesis all the way through, and I was reading about all the different kinds of spirits. Many spirits of God, but many other kinds of spirits. A spirit of lying in the in the mouth of Ahab. I mean, what was? What, what, Lord? A spirit of lying. A spirit of infirmity. I come over to Luke 13, 11. I've been reading for hours. I come over to Luke 13, 11, and it says, And this woman, which had a spirit of infirmity these 18 years, which could in no wise straighten herself up, right there, the Lord spoke to me in an audible voice I could hear. He said, Son, you have one of those living in your body. I said, Lord, 
I mean, I went through a deliverance five years ago, and we cast out every demon. I said, I still, I, I said, Lord, infirmity means sickness or weakness. And I said, Lord, I'm not sick and I'm not weak. What in the world is it? He said, it's your athlete's foot. I said, Lord, athlete's foot is a spirit? He said, yes, son. And in my name, you have authority over it. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'd had that since I was a young teenager. When I went to Vietnam, and when I got to where I was away from where I could get to a doctor, I come to a point, I didn't realize, I realized there was an enemy out there trying to kill me, but I didn't realize I had an enemy living in me that was trying to kill me, because he was eating my toes off, and by the time I got to work to get to a doctor, that guy told me, he said, if it had been more than two or three more days, we would have probably had to amputate your toes. He said, your toes are eat completely up with athlete's foot. I mean, it was this blood, and you know, just, it's this raw meat under there, to the bone. So they began to doctor and everything, and, and, and several days went by, and of course, I, they began to heal up with all the doctoring and everything. Do you think I had an idea that I had a demonic spirit in my feet that was eating on my toes? No clue. I thought it was a fungus. That's what the doctor had told me. He certainly didn't tell me I had a demon. I didn't know. He didn't know either. But that night, many years ago, I swung my feet out from under that computer desk, and I looked down at my toes, and I did something most Christians would thought I was crazy if they'd have been there that night. I looked down at those feet and I said, you foul spirit of hell, you spirit of infirmity, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of me and go to the pit of hell and stay there and don't you ever come back in Jesus' name. Guess what? The next morning I woke up, no athlete's foot. I have never had it again to this day. Now then, about six years ago, about six years ago, there was a, a young couple in our church. By knowing this, of course, I'm teaching these things in my church and I will have to say, I'm still go, I still go on Sunday morning to a Southern Baptist church. Now I've started my own church on Sunday afternoon over there in North Dallas. But I teach the Word of God in my church and of course some of the people in my church think I ought not to be teaching in a Baptist church. I mean I've had someone tell me that, but when it always comes down to it, have you ever heard me teach anything that's not in this book? Well, no, but some of the things you teach we don't talk about. I said, well, okay, that's beside the point. I'll teach the Word of God. So anyway, when this young couple this young couple, they had a six-year-old girl, beautiful little girl, brand-new Christian girl. Her mother came to me one night and said, Thurman, Michelle has got the worst case of athlete's foot. Said we have prayed for her. We have taken her to the doctor. We have done everything and said nothing works. Said her feet are so eat up. Said her toenails are coming off. Said her little toenails look like they're going to fall off any minute said her big toe is split down the middle and coming off around the edges and said we've had her to the doctor the doctor's doctor everything said nothing works do you have any idea of what's wrong I said sure honey I know exactly what's wrong with your baby she has a demon now a little southern Baptist girl about 32 years old with a 6 year old girl what do you think that woman did when I told her her baby had a demon she burst into tears I mean I mean it's like you turn foxes on you know I mean her out of Herman are you telling me my baby has a demon I said, that's exactly what I'm telling you, honey. But I said, you don't have to sweat it. I said, I know you and your husband extremely well. I know your husband teaches the RAs. I know you teach the GAs. I know you and him walk in a love relationship. I know you and him don't talk evil about nobody. I know y'all come to church every time the doors open. Y'all are in place for a miracle. You're obedient kids of the kingdom. So I said, I don't know how this demon got in, but he did. So I said, all you need to do is take this two magnificent verses to start off with, and they're in Luke chapter 10, verse 19 and 20. 
I said, I want you to read those verses to me, and I want to tell you what they say, and then I want you to go home and tell your husband that if he, as a spiritual leader of the home, will take Luke 10, 19, and 20, and he will do what I tell you to do, I guarantee that demon will leave, and I guarantee the Lord will heal your baby. I believe this book. So anyway, she turned in her Bible to Luke 10, 19, and 20. Now, I might, instead of me quoting that to you, I might have one of y'all read that because I want to make sure that my Bible and yours said the same thing. Because I've come to realize, you know, that when I quote these, some people that don't have their Bible open, they say, I have literally had people tell me, Thurman, what kind of a foreign Bible are you reading out of? And so I've got to ask you to read it out of yours. You know, because uh, that way there's no, no controversy there when you read it out of yours. So, somebody, somebody read that. Would you like to read that, ma'am? What does it say? Behold, I've given to you power to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Hey, that read just like mine. We must have the same translation. Now, but what does that mean? Behold, I give unto you power. Now, in the Greek, the word power there... The word power in the King James is used twice in those two verses, but in the Greek it's two different, two different words. The first one says, Behold, I give unto you power. The better uh, translation of that word is, Behold, I give unto you authority. That's what the word really means. So who's speaking there too, by the way? Jesus. That's Jesus himself. Behold, I give unto you authority to trample on the serpent and his scorpions. Who do you think the serpent and his scorpions are? Satan and his demons. That's exactly right. And then he said, and then after they said, and I give you a little bit of power over them? Oh! I give unto you all power. Well, if he give me and you all power as a church over our enemy, the devil, how much power has he got left over us? I mean, none. And then he takes that next verse, notwithstanding in this rejoice, not that the evil spirits have to be subject unto you. How do you make something subject to you? You got a kid, and that kid you want him to take out the trash, and you got three kids sitting over there, and you say, one of you kids take the trash out. Guess what's going to happen, Mama? <laughs> no, you're right, nothing. But if you say, Johnny, go out there and take the trash out for Mama, and take it out and empty it out and bring it back and wash the can out, and then you come back and go back to play. Guess what's going to happen? He's going to do it because you were specific, right? See, them demons are just exactly like that. So, they have to be subject to us. So I told that little girl, I said, young lady, you go home and you tell your husband he's a spiritual leader in your home and I know you all are walking in obedience to God's word. So I said, you take that mighty promise in Luke 10, 19, and 20 and you tell him to read that verse over and over and over out loud. And then, after he finally believes what God says, that he has that power, I want him to get your baby up in there and I want him to command that spirit of infirmity, that spirit of athlete's foot, to leave her in the name of Jesus and then thank the Lord for delivering her. And then, after you cast the demon out, I said, now then, she needs to be healed. I said, now then, you take the verse of Matthew 18, 19, the prayer of agreement, and you and your wife, you and your husband, I was telling her, I said, you and your husband take the prayer of agreement, and y'all ask the Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus for the Holy Spirit to go into your baby's feet and to restore everything the devil has messed up in the name of Jesus, and then thank him for doing it. I said, then put her to bed. And I guarantee, if you'll do it and say, guarantee the Lord will heal that girl. So anyway, this little Baptist girl, she gets home that night. They put their babies all to bed. Finally, she tells her husband, said, 
You know, I went to see Thurman tonight uh, at the end of the prayer meeting Wednesday night and said, uh, he told me Michelle has a demon. So he said, well, I'm going to tell you. If Thurman told you our baby's got a demon, he said, I'm going to believe him. And she said, why? He said, because Philip Anthony Wren, which was one of my RAs, a few years ago, and that boy, up until he was 11 years old, that boy's entire body was covered with warts. He had them in his eyebrows, on his eyelids, up in his nose, all over his face, all over his neck, all over the palms and the backs of both hands. And they said, he said they had burned two big rows of warts off the back of Philip's hands, and those warts came right back in the scars, and Thurman went over to their house on a Sunday afternoon, and in four weeks' time, after whatever he did, there was not a wart or a scar on that boy's body. Not one. So he said, if Thurman told you our baby has a demon, that man has spiritual discernment, and I'm going to believe what he said. He said, all right, what did he tell you to do? So she told him. He read those verses. And if you want to see this testimony as live as you can get it, I only brought a few of the testimony tapes, but their testimony is filmed on one of those testimonies. Of them, I went back to their home this last year and sat down with them with two cameras and I filmed this with that girl. She's now 12 years old. And he cast that demon of infirmity out of his baby at 11 o'clock at night. And then they used a prayer of agreement and asked the Father in the name of Jesus to send the Holy Spirit to heal and restore her feet. And then they thanked him for doing it. And he put her to bed. The next morning, about 7 o'clock, Russell was getting ready to go to work. He ran in there to see his baby. He said, Honey, let's look at your feet this morning. I'm going to tell you how bad her feet was. Her feet were so bad, so bloody underneath, that when that little six-year-old girl come home from school in the afternoon, they'd take her shoes off of her, but before they could take her socks off, they'd have to put her feet in a bucket of warm water before they could get them off. You say she had a pretty bad case of it? Both feet were like that. He ran in there at 7 o'clock that morning and jerked the cover off a little Michelle at 6 years old and said, Honey, let's see what the Lord's done for you. And that little girl looked down at her feet and she burst into tears. Her feet looked like brand new. There was not a loose toenail, not a fractured one, not a split one. And when she turned her feet up and looked at them, it looked just like the palm of my hand. Not a scar or a mark. A few Sundays later, or several Sundays later, she'd come out of church one morning crying. I walked up to her and said, Honey, what's wrong with you? She said, Mr. Scribner, I tried to tell some of the people in my class about what God did for me. And that I had a demon and my daddy cast it out and I, the Lord healed me. And she said, They all laughed at me. Those that tell us, tell us where we are in the church, right? She was all crying and I reached up and put my arm around her and I said, Honey, Consider it pure joy to get to suffer persecution for Jesus. I said, they don't care what anybody tells you. They won't nobody ever be able to take that miracle away from you. I said, you'll remember what the king done for you as long as you live. I said, nobody can take that away from you. I said, it is a shame today that we in the church don't believe this mighty book that we carry in our hands. When this book tells us, he said, I'm your God. I came and became your substitute on the cross. I bore your sins, I bore your sickness, and I redeemed you from the curse. He said, now then walk holy before me and do what I tell you to do. 
And if you'll be obedient to do what I tell you to do and walk holy before me, you can come and ask me for anything you want and I'll do it for you. And guess what we do? We do what we want to do. We go out and talk evil about somebody. We go out and lie about somebody. We go out and live with somebody else's mate. We just do everything wrong in the church. I can't believe that in the church today there is as many. Dr. Dobson, I listened to him the other day, and he said there is absolutely by number, there is more divorces in the church than there are in the world. That's what he said. Isn't that a sad state of affairs? That we got a God that's given us all power, and we won't spend enough time with the king to be able to walk holy. We won't tell our kids that when you go out, make sure you go with a man. If you, you girls, if you're going to find you a mate, find him in church. Find a Holy Ghost filled young man. Don't go out there and find some kid in the bar. Don't go out there in them drug parties and try to find you a husband. You know, or some young boy. Don't find you a mate in the church. Find you a girl that's on fire for Jesus. Find you one that'll kept herself pure and clean. Don't go down there to one of them crazy places where these girls are doing all kinds of wicked things and dancing before the, all the boys and showing their body and all that other stuff. You don't want a woman like that for your wife. But guess what? Just like a man the other night that comes to church. His young son is out running around and his wife said, Honey, he should not do them things. He said, Oh, he's just a boy. All boys do those things. I said, I'm going to tell you what, you know, if, if I wasn't a man of God filled with the Holy Ghost, I'd take a two by four and beat you down to the ground. I said, boys, don't do that unless daddy says it's okay. I said, if you live like you're supposed to and you're walking holy before God, that boy wouldn't do those things. In fact, I'm going to tell you something that you, that I have learned in my studies and my observance of the kingdom of God. You can take a man and a woman and let's say they're not the believers. And they get saved, or they don't get saved, and they say the first five years of their life they produce two children. I don't care if they're boys or girls, it don't make no difference, or both. And then after five years, somebody, neighbor or something, goes over and talks to them, gets them to come to church, and they come in and start hearing about Jesus, and they get saved. And they go to a good church that'll teach you who you are and what you should do. They really inherit eternal life, and they learn what it requires. And then they produce two more children the next five years. I'm going to tell you, I can show you exactly the difference. Those first two kids will go out and sow their wild oats. It'll be very difficult to get them saved. They won't want to hear God. But those two that came into the kingdom with a mother and a father after they had received eternal life, the chances are nearly nil that those kids will go out and sow their wild oats. They won't do it. They'll be good kids. They'll be quicker to learn than the others. It's just a fact. There is something that takes place inside of the human being when the human spirit is recreated that is absolutely unique that we have never locked on to. That's why we as sons and daughters of the king should lead our children to Christ. We should strive to our kids to become born again by the time they're five or six years old. If you're not born again by the time you're five or six years old, at least by the time you're eight or nine years old, if you're living in a Christian home, I'm going to tell you, mom and daddy is not reading the Word of God and not living as an example of Christ before those kids. Every child, if they're in your home and you're the example. In fact, I'm going to tell you that the very first time the Lord ever spoke to me as a Southern Baptist deacon was 26 years ago, actually 25 years ago, I was sitting there in my study one night and I was preparing to teach a Sunday school lesson in Deuteronomy chapter 6 
And I came to verse 4. Deuteronomy 6, 4, the Word of God says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And when I, when I read that line, before I could read the next line, for the first time in my life, I heard this voice speak to me as clear as if it was standing right beside me. He said, Son, pay attention. I have a message for you in the next few verses. I heard that as clear as I heard it right then. I literally turned to see who walked into the room. There was nobody there. I said, Lord, you said, Son, pay attention. I have a message for you in the next few verses. Now, what Moses was telling the children of Israel there, what they needed to do if they wanted their kids to walk with God. He was saying, you are to teach them the Word of God. You are to be an example before them. You are to put a sign on the back of your hand that you, every time you look at it, it says, teach my kids about God. You are to put a sign on your gatepost when you walk in and say, today, teach your kids about God. Be an example of, of me to your children if you want your kids to walk with God. That's what that scripture is saying in the next few verses. I, at that time, I didn't have an altar in my home. I didn't teach my kids the Word of God in home. I mean, I was like all other Baptists that I knew. I went to church on Sunday, every Sunday. And I was teaching a Bible study class, but did I read the Bible to my kids? No, we did that at church on Sunday morning. I've come to realize that's not what God requires. So I started right there that night. I was obedient to that command, and I started teaching my children the Word of God. I started reading to them and praying over them. My daughter was just that long. She was born in May, and this was in June when this happened. She was just one month old. But I pull her little bassinet up there, and I start reading. I read just a few minutes to her and to Tim, which was two, and then I would pray over them, and after we would do that, then it wasn't long until my wife would come in, and for the next ten years, we read the Word of God in its entirety through to those kids three times and prayed over them every day. Well, my son, when he was four and a half years old, I still remember when we were leaving church one Wednesday night and I rounded the corner up there on Main Street, turned down where the old McDonald's used to be and started out on Interstate 35. He's standing up in the seat beside me. That's the days before you had to have him strapped in and all this stuff. He said, Dad, I believe if I died tonight, I'd go to hell to be with the devil. Four and a half years old. I said, Son, I'm not too sure you're old enough to know what you're talking about yet. But I said, let's get home. We'll talk about it. So we went in the bedroom. We sat down on the bed. And an hour or an hour and a half later, what came out of that little four-and-a-half-year-old boy's mouth blew me away. We knelt down beside that bed. He asked the Lord to come into his heart and be his Lord and Savior at four-and-a-half years of age. At six-and-a-half years old, my daughter did that. And I'm so glad that they've done that at a young age. Because some of you have heard the story of what happened to me on October the 13th. And I might just tell you a little bit about this magnificent story about how faith works. But on October the 13th, on a Saturday morning, my wife and daughter, 24 years old now she was, and my wife, 41 and a half years, they got up with our three-year-old grandbaby and a six-year-old little girl, like a grandbaby, and we were going down to Brownwood to a birthday party to some of our relatives. I hugged them all, kissed them, told them I'd see them Sunday afternoon. Little did I realize, in two and a half hours, my wife and daughter would be in eternity. They were both killed in a head-on truck car accident four miles outside of Stephenville, Texas, that Saturday morning. 
my grandbaby and the other little girl, when I, I was teaching a healing school in Hearst that day, and it was one o'clock before they found me. You never know exactly what you're going to do until you have prepared yourself for anything, which is what I have done. I believe this book. I know that I'm only temporary here on this earth. I know the Lord is training me, and he's training his church. So that afternoon at 1 o'clock, as we had just started the healing school, just about this time, 1247, but it was 1 exactly, a police officer walked in the back door, and I thought, I wonder what he wants. You know, he's dressed in uniform. So I went back there, and I said, can I help you, sir? And he said, are you Thurman Scribner? And I said, yes, sir. He said, do you have a wife named Betty? I said, yes, sir. He said, do you have a daughter named Amanda? I said, yes, sir. He said, there's been an accident. I said, are they injured? He said, they're both deceased. I said, how about the babies? He said, both of them are in Cook's Medical Center in very critical condition. I thanked him, walked up to the front, told the people, I said, I want us to stop right now and I want us to have a worship and praise service. I want to praise the king for my wife and daughter. And I know they're in heaven right now. And we praised him and worshipped him for probably 10 or 15 minutes. And then I told him, I said, now then I'm going to stand on two promises for my baby and Kelly. I said, I'm going to read John 15:7 and John 16:23 and 24. I said, now John 15:7 has a requirement. John 15:7, the Word of God declares, if you remain in me and I remain in you, then you can ask me whatever you want and I will do it for you. I said, in John 16, 23 and 24, the Word of God made of me a promise, Jesus talking. He said, before now you've asked me nothing. But from this day forth, you can ask the Father anything you want in my name, and he will do it for you so that your joy may be full. With two little girls that are critical, I've been told that they're not going to live with those two promises. What do you think I can do with those two promises? Miracles, that's right. All i got to do is believe God with no doubt in my heart. So after we worshiped and praised the Lord, and I asked him for these, for the lives of these two little girls, and not just to be vegetables, but to be normal, to be, and that he be glorified in all of this. And I said, Lord, I'm going to thank you. I'm making demand on my payment, which is owed. I said, I have, it's mine. It's in the Word. Everybody said, but Thurman, I said, I don't want to hear no unbelief. No unbelief. I said, you're going to see the glory of God. So I left and went home. We picked up all my equipment, books and everything, and tapes, and I went home. Picked up my son and we drove back down to Cook's Medical Center in Fort Worth and I walked in. This precious little social worker, she would come up to me and she said, Sir, I need to tell you what you're going to see when you go in that room. I said, Honey, I know what I'm going to see when I walk in that room. She said, No, you really don't. I said, Yes, honey, I'm an engineer. I said, I know when two pieces of steel running 70 miles an hour hit each other head on. One of them's a truck, one of them's a car. I know exactly what my wife and my daughter look like, and I got an idea of what my babies look like. I said, but no problem. The Lord has it under control. So I walked in there. She walked in with me. She didn't know what I was going to do. I walked in, and I had my Bible in my hand. I put my hand on it, and I looked at my little grandbaby laying there, and Kelly. Of course, both of them was not just critical. Kelly was critical. Her head was busted open. Her both pelvis was broken. Her seatbelt helped. But a piece of steel cut my grandbaby's carry-all deal, and when it cut it and turned it loose, she went forward at that impact, and her head hit the seat in front of her, and her skull was crushed in five places. 
I didn't know how bad she was. I didn't know her right knee was crushed. I didn't know her left leg was broken in two places. All I knew is what I saw. Now, this was, happened at 8.30. This is about 1.30 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon when I get there, probably 2 o'clock at least when I walk in, and her face looks like it's been run through a meat grinder. Solid blood. She's got tubes plugged in her nose that are that long, the galls that are solid blood. She's got a tube that long, that big around, stuck in her mouth, and it's solid blood. Blood's running out her ears. Blood's running out her mouth. Blood's running out her eyes. Her skull, she's got fractures, cuts. There's not a place on her that's not red all over her face. But I walk in there beside that bed with those two little girls, and I lay my hand on the Bible, and I quote those two verses one more time. I said, Father, you've done a lot of miracles for me in the last 25 years for a lot of people. But now I need two for me. I said, in the name of Jesus, Father, I ask you to raise up these two babies and make them perfect. Let them be normal. I don't want them just to live. I want them back like they was even better because I serve the king of the universe. And I said, with you, nothing's impossible. And you told me if I could believe you with no doubt I could walk on water, I could ask anything I wanted, you'd do it for me. So I said, Lord, I consider it done. And I began to worship him and praise him. That little social worker four or five hours later walked up to me and she said, Sir, I will never forget this day or this incident as long as I live. I said, Why, honey? I have never seen a man that lost his wife and his daughter and walk into a room with two girls and we tell him they're both going to die today and him stand there and read the Word of God and then stand here and worship and praise the Lord all afternoon long. I said, Honey, you're going to see the glory of God here. She said, Sir, the doctor said that these girls can't live. I said, but them doctors don't know my Jesus. I've come to realize most people don't. We don't believe. We say we know Jesus. I thought I used to know him too. But I've come to know who he is now. Really know who he is. So as I stood beside that bed for the next ten hours and worshipped and praised the king, I never shed a tear. I stayed in total faith. By the time... When I first got there, the pressure on the tube that they had stuck in the middle of her head was 20. I didn't know what that meant, but I could read it. The doctor walked up about two or three hours later and he said, Sir, I don't know how she's lived this long. We expected her to die any minute. He said, It's impossible for her to live. She will die today. I said, Oh, no, she won't die. He said, Sir, it's impossible. So this one, the three-year-old, which was my granddaughter, said, There's no way possible she can live. He said, the other little girl, maybe she may live. I said, no, they're both going to live. They're going to run and play and be normal again. So he walked off. You're in denial. That's what everybody thinks. No, no. Ten hours later, when I left that hospital in the wee hours of the night or the morning, I had worshipped and praised the king and watched that pressure on Caitlin's brain go from 20 to 7. She's out of the critical, critical range, and that now she's just critical. So I go home to get some sleep. I come back the next morning. I praise the Lord and worship Him all the way home. I come back the next morning. I walk into that hospital. First, the next morning was Sunday morning. So the first thing I did Sunday morning, got up and went and taught my Sunday school class and went to church. That's the first thing I did. And then after church, Sunday afternoon, I came back down there. Everybody couldn't believe that I was in church the next Sunday morning teaching my Sunday school class. With my wife dead, my daughter dead, and two grandbabies, or like, my grandbaby and a girl like her grandbaby, laying down in a hospital, I told him, I said, y'all don't worry about it. 
God's in control. I have asked him. I said, and he may even raise my wife and daughter from the dead. I don't know. I said, that's very possible. Although they had both been totally, completely disfigured. I mean, I could, I'm not even going to try to t- explain to you how bad they were cut up in that accident. I don't want you to even know. But I know the God I serve can do anything. But I know these two little girls are going to live. There ain't no doubt in my mind. What do you do with promises like that, young lady? John 15, 7, John 16, 23, 24. You're a daughter of the king. What do you do with that? Sure you do, sir. You believe them. So, Sunday afternoon, we go, nobody moves, everything, I mean, you know, they're living, you know, my granddaughter's got breathing tubes in her and everything else. Uh, but Monday afternoon, my son-in-law, I keep telling him, I said, son, don't worry about it. I said, they're going to be okay. He said, he said, dad, he said, you got faith that I don't have. Of course, that Saturday afternoon when I finally found him, I had to send somebody down to the deer lease, well, 200, nearly, nearly 200 miles away, down on our place hunting deer. I had to send somebody down there to get him. So when he walked in and his deer out there and everything, I sent somebody down there to get him because I knew he'd be a basket case because I knew his, he's going to be a normal man. When somebody walks in and says, sir, uh, your wife, she's dead and your granddad, your daughter, uh, we don't think she's going to live through the night. I knew what was going to happen to him. So I sent somebody to go get him and they drove him back. He walked into that hospital. When he walked in there, I told him, I said, when Toby gets here, you make sure I see him first. So they told me that he's in the hall. So I went out there. And as we're coming in, I said, Toby, I said, you need to know, son, what you're going to see when you go in there. He said, Dad, they told me Amanda's dead. I said, that's right, son. Her and mom's gone. They're in heaven with the Lord. But I said, we got a battle, a faith to fight now. So I said, Caitlin is very, very seriously damaged. I said, so I don't want any trauma scenes. When you walk in there, I want you to stay in faith with me. I want only faith in that room. I'm very careful who I let in that room. I said, I don't want you to fall to pieces or start crying. I want you to just stand in faith with me. He said, I can do it. I said, okay. We walked around that corner and he looked in and saw his three-year-old laying there and he saw what she looked like and no way. He just fell to pieces. I told him, took him back out. I said, Toby, you can't go in there like that. I can't have that in there. He's going to come back out. Took about three or four tries before he could go in there and stand there beside the bed and just cry over her bed but make no sayings, no noise. I said, that's all right, son. She's going to live and not die. But you must stay in faith with me. Monday afternoon, he said, Dad, I don't know how you can have that kind of faith. He said, Doctor, whatever, I forget the doctor's name. said, he walked in here a while ago and said, Toby, your baby's going to die. There's nothing can be done. She'll die any minute, so just, just be prepared for it. She can't live. I said, you don't believe what that doctor tells you. You believe what the Word says. He said, Dad, I don't have the faith you have I said, I know you don't, son, but you're going to see the glory of God. So in a little while, somebody wanted to come. It's Monday night now, about 10 o'clock. Somebody come and wanted to go in and see Caitlin. So I come out, and I let that person, real close family member, go in. And while I'm standing out in the hallway, there's a grandmother and a grandfather standing out there with a young man and a young woman. And a doctor, two doctors, walk up to him and says, we've done all we can do here little grandson, he will be gone before morning. And the doctors walked off. I walked over and I said, Sir, are you a born-again Christian? Well, yeah, I am. I said, Where do you go to church? He said, I'm an over-the-road truck driver and I don't go to church much. I said, What a shame. 
The devil's kept you out of church, so you don't know the promises of God, so he's going to kill your baby. I said, ma'am, how about you? Are you a Christian? She said, yes. I said, do you, do you go to church? She said, well, my husband's not at home much, so not very much. I said, what a shame. You don't know God's promises, so your grandbaby's going to die. I said, son, first I turned to the young lady. I said, young lady, are you a Christian? She said, yes. I said, do you go to church? She said, no. I turned to the young man, 21-year-old. I said, how about you, son? Are you a Christian? He said, I believe in God. I said, son, everybody believes in God. Some kind. But the right now, the only one can help you is Jesus Christ, the son of the real God. I said, if you don't know him, let me show you how to get born again. The next 20 minutes, I stood there in the hallway with my Bible and led that boy to Christ. Once I got him born again, I said, now, son, all of your sins right now, according to 2 Corinthians 5.21, you have been made a new creature in Christ. You have just been made a brand new creature, and all of your sins have been washed away, and you will never be cleaner before the king than you are right now. I said, now then, you're in perfect shape for a miracle. I said, where is your baby? He said, he was in there, and I see you. I said, take me in there. We went in there, and I said, that doctor just said, if I heard him right out there, that your son... I said, how old is your son? He said, he's two and a half months old. I said, if I heard that doctor right, he said, your son's already 95% brain dead, and he'll be gone before morning. He said, that's what he said. And we walked in there, and I looked at this little, tiny, lifeless, two-and-a-half-month-old child, and little boy. I said, son... I want to read just one line to you out of the Word of God. Mark chapter 16, verse 18. I want everybody to see this promise. I want you to see if your Bible reads like mine does. Mark chapter 16, verse 18. When you read Mark chapter 16, verse 18, I want you to, somebody to tell me what your Bible says you can do in that verse. Especially the last statement. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. It's amazing. Your Bible read just exactly like mine. And I opened that and I said, Son, you see this line right here? He said, Yes, sir. I said, You see that promise the king made you? He said, That says they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And I said, And that's what he means. But you've got to believe him with no doubt in your heart. I said, now, can I do that for your baby? He said, of course. I reached over in that little tiny two-and-a-half-month hole and that little naked tummy that was laying there totally lifeless, and I put them two fingers on that little tummy, and I said, be healed in the name of Jesus. I said, thank you, Father, for your word, which is forever settled in heaven. It cannot be broken. I said, thank you for restoring this boy. And I turned to that couple and I said, I guarantee your son will live and not die because Jesus said so. I mean, did he make me that promise, young lady? And I walked off and left them. The next day when I came back to that hospital, that little girl came and got me. She said, sir, could you, I said, I know you've been out and you hadn't even got to see Caitlin yet, but could you come over here? And I said, well, what do you need, honey? She said, come over here. So we went over. She said, look, 
when he woke up this morning, when we come in this morning at 10 o'clock, he'd already pulled the tubes out of himself and he's laying there kicking and he's greedy. And the doctor's like, well, we're going to get to go out of ICU in a room upstairs here in a few minutes. Within an hour, we're going to be out of ICU. And the next day, take care of the rest of it. That's what he does. He's a faith God. So this little girl comes in. This boy said, you need to have this man pray for your son. And he told her what happened. She said, would you pray for my baby? I said, yeah, honey, I'd be happy to. But I said, there's some things I need to know about you first. She said, like what? I said, are you a born-again Christian? Yes, I am. I said, honey, I see you're pregnant. Yes. I said, are you married? No. I said, was this baby conceived in wedlock or out of wedlock? Well, she said, out of wedlock, I'm living with a man. I said, what is it you don't understand about 1 Corinthians chapter 3 or 1 Corinthians chapter 6 when the Lord said, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit if you truly are born again? And if you defile your body, his temple, with sexual immorality, he will destroy your temple? What is it you didn't understand about that? She said, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, honey... You, by sin in your life, if you are a born-again Christian, have opened the door to the demonic world, and that's why your six-year-old son's laying in with a bullet in his back and dying. Because of your sin. I said, now, we serve a gracious God. I said, if you'll confess that sin and repent, and turn from your wicked ways, and make him a promise that you will not go home tonight, or tomorrow night, or any other night, and go back to bed with that boy, unless you marry him, I said, until you do that, I will not go pray for your baby because I will not be able to get my prayer answered. I said, are you willing to make God that promise? She said, what if I don't? I said, then your son's going to die. She said, if I do, I said, then he'll live. I guarantee it. She said, I want him to live. I said, all right. You tell the Father right now in the name of Jesus, you're sorry you have abused your physical body with sexual immorality. So she did. I said, now then tell him you won't do that no more. And so she did. I said, okay, let's go in there. Take me in there where your son is. We went in there. I walked by. Nurse sitting right there at the bed. I said, how's the boy? She said, well, I, I'm not allowed to tell you. I said, honey, I'm the minister. I said, I come to pray for the boy. I said, what are the chances? She said, sorry, he's going to die. I said, okay. So I walked over there and laid my hands on him. And I said, father, this young girl confessed her sins now. You're the healer. So Satan's legal right has been removed to this boy. So I said, be healed in the name of Jesus. I said, Lord, thank you for being such a great and mighty and compassionate and merciful God. And I turned to her and I said, now I guarantee, honey, your baby will get well. And I turned and walked off. And within 30 minutes, the vital signs all changed in that boy, and in two days that boy was out of ICU in a room recovering upstairs in Cook's Medical Center. In the next few days, Kelly, by the end of the first week, the little six-year-old, she was out of ICU upstairs recovering. And in another week, Kelly was out of the hospital and in that second Sunday, she was back, actually the third Sunday after it happened, two full weeks, she was in church walking with a walker. And everybody thought they'd seen a miracle because the two broke pelvis. They said it's impossible for this little girl to even stand, much less walk, for six or eight weeks minimum with two broke pelvis. But by Wednesday, 
Kelly was back in school running and playing. Running and playing. I mean, you tell me God's Word don't work? You got to me too late. It really does work. But guess who's going to make God's Word work for you? Guess who's going to make it work for you? You. That's absolutely right. If you walk in obedience to God's Word, if you will take this Word and you'll take these promises and you'll do what God says, now then, I also said for my grandbaby, I said in, when after that first day or two, I said, in a week y'all will see God raise her up. But a week came and went, she ain't moved a muscle. She's still breathing. But on a machine, she's totally lifeless. Every day, there is a magnificent promise that this young lady here read for me a while ago in John 14, 13, and 14. Every day, I would take that verse and I would go in on that little face that's like it's been run through a meat grinder, and I would lay my hands right over that face, not touching it, but I would lay my hands right over that face, and I'd say, in the name of Jesus, on behalf of those two verses, and I'd quote those two verses, I command every cut and scar and bruise to be healed without a mark. I said, Father, I don't want a scar. Not a scar. What do you say I can ask for? So why should I take anything less than the best? You know what the average person do? They go in and say, oh, God, please just let my baby live. Now, forget it. I don't want her to just live. I want her back better than she was before. I don't want them cuts and bruises and everything all over her face. I want her back perfect. So I asked the Father in the name of Jesus to do that. And within two weeks' time, in two weeks' time, the second Sunday, there was not one single mark on that little face. Not a cut, not a scar, not a bruise. It was perfect. But she still ain't moved. Well, she had, I take it back, she had moved. Because the second Thursday we were in, the, in fact, the second Monday morning when we were there, Dr. Marks, the head of neurology, he said, I need a meeting with all the family. So we all went in at 8 o'clock. He said, now, we, your daughter, his granddaughter, is breathing on a machine. And we might as well go ahead and pull the tube. And when we do and she dies, you don't want to resuscitate her. I said, she's not going to die. He said, of course she's going to die. He said, I've done the MRIs. And in the impact, when that little girl's head hit the seat in front of her, it hit with such impact, it severed everything connected to her brain. Her brain stem severed. He said, her eyes are disconnected. I said, so is there anything wrong with her eyes? He said, no, the eyes are like two video cameras without a recorder. He said, the eyes are okay, but there's nothing attached to it, so she'll never be able to see. She'll not be able to cough. She'll not ever be able to move a muscle. He said, if we keep her alive like we're doing right now on a machine, we're pumping her lungs two or three times a day, said, if you pull the breathing tube, she will die. I said, no, no, she won't. She'll, she'll breathe. He said, sir, if she breathes, and there's a very tiny chance that she will, but if she does, she'll definitely not be able to cough because nothing's attached to her brain to tell her to cough. So in about two or three weeks, her lungs will fill up with fluid and she'll die with pneumonia anyway. I said, oh no, she won't. I said, she will cough. She will, she will breathe on her own. She'll breathe over the machine. How do you release your faith? Speak it. That's exactly right. You speak, you release your faith. What's in a man's heart comes out where? Out of your mouth. So why do you think God told you to hide this word in your heart? So what's in your heart comes out your mouth. So I got it in my heart. I know the word of God. So as I'm speaking this, I'm telling myself, she's not going to die. She's going to live. I guarantee she's going to live. It's impossible. I said, I said, Dr. Mark, are you a Christian? He said, no, I'm a Jew. I said, good. I said, my Jesus was a Jew. And I said, you're going to see a Jewish physician do the greatest work you've ever seen in your life. 
I mean, this is a conversation that's going on in this meeting. That's just exactly like And I turned to those other three or four people in there, doctors, nurses, and social workers and everything else. I said, are the rest of y'all Christians? And they all nodded their head. I said, okay, good. Y'all are all going to get to see the glory of God. And you know what? Everybody thought about this crazy grandpa. He's a nut and he's in denial. So, Thursday morning came. We're getting ready now, the second Thursday. This precious little lady lung doctor, she comes in, sets down a chair across Caitlin's bed, and she says, Sir, you are the only man I have ever met in my life that absolutely refuses to accept reality. I said, Ma'am, you think that's reality laying right there, don't you? She said, Well, of course. I said, No, what I hold in my hand is reality. This is reality. This Word of God, it's real. I said, This is going to make that run and play again. She said, Sir... I said, I'm standing on God's promises. She said, sir, you know sometimes God says no to his promises. I said, honey, you got a verse for that? She said, well, no, I don't. I said, well, I have one in Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, that says no matter how many promises he made me, the answer to every one of them is yes every time. I said, so I'm standing on these two mighty promises of John 15, 7 and John 16, 23 and 24. And were those awesome promises? Awesome promises with our God. He's your God. He's my God. He's the one made the promises. I'm just going to collect on them. I believe him. There's no doubt. I said, now then, all the room begins to fill up with doctors and nurses and everything because they're expecting the worst. As they all get there, I said, guys, I'm going to tell all of y'all one more time the two promises that I'm standing on for these two little girls. And I said, I'm going to back up now and let y'all pull the tube and I'm going to let y'all see the glory of God as my grandbaby breathes over that machine on her own and as she coughs. And I back up and I said, pull the tubes. So they went at it. And they pulled the tubes and the breathing machine went up above where it was breathing with the, with the thing pumping on her own. And then she started coughing and moving and the doctor says, I don't believe this. In Acts chapter 13, verse 41, the Lord says, in the last days, I shall do such great and mighty things among you, even though some of you see it, you won't believe it. Can you imagine? I've got to have the faith to make it happen, and they see it happen, and they still don't believe it. Well, I'm going to tell you, that's where about 95% of the church is living today. We don't believe this book. So I'm believing this book. This book cannot fail me unless I doubt. You know that? If I doubt, that is the only thing that can make this book fail me. And so they pulled the tube and she breathed. And then the doctor comes in a little while later and he said, Sir, we didn't think she was going to live. Said, when we'd done the, all the tests that first day, said her right knee is crushed. And said her left leg is broke right here and right down there. He said, now that it appears she's going to live, we need right now to go in and do surgery on that right knee because if we don't, said it's so crushed she'll never be able to walk. I said, no, sir. He said, sir, you don't understand. I said, no, sir, you don't understand. I said, the same Jesus that made her breathe and made her cough will fix that knee, and he'll do it a whole lot better than y'all will. And he said, sir, if I don't put pins and screws in that knee, that girl will never walk again. I said, if you put pins and screws in that knee, that girl will have trouble with that knee all of her life. I said, and when my Jesus gets through that knee, she won't never have no more trouble with it. And you ain't going to touch that knee. He said, sir, I can't believe you. I said, okay, well, just believe it. And so I turned to her and he said, but her daddy's the final authority. I said, Toby, what do you say? Now, Toby's seen all these other miracles. 
He said, I'm telling you, I'm with, I'm with dad. He says, you don't touch her knee, you don't touch my baby's knee. So, we go for a month. We finally get out of ICU a month later. Four total weeks for an ICU. Send her up to a room. Every day I lay hands on her and pray for her. Command her body to be well in the name of Jesus. Two more weeks come and go. Six weeks now. We're going to take her home. Doctor says, take this wheelchair cause, and take this special bed and everything because she won't never be able to move on her own. I said, oh yeah. She'll walk, she'll talk, she'll run, she'll play, she'll do everything. He said, sure, it's impossible. They've already seen all this other stuff and it's still impossible. So I get this little girl home. I said, we don't need that wheelchair. He said, look, you have to take the wheelchair. I said, okay. He said, we're going to make a special one for her. Take about three months and so you'll have one that she can ride around in. It'll be her own. I said, hey, don't, don't start because you ain't going to need it. He said, no, we'll, that's all right. We'll measure. We'll go ahead and build you a wheelchair. Nobody believes you anymore. So I get her home and I set her up in the bed and I set her up and I say, in the name of Jesus, I command you to set up, Caitlin, in Jesus' name. And I turn her loose and she falls over. I do that over and over and over until she can set up. And then I take her out of the bed and I stand her on the floor. I said, in the name of Jesus, I command you to stand in Jesus' name. And turn her loose and she falls down. I pick her up and put her upside the bed and say, in the name of Jesus, I command them legs to be strong and I command you to stand in the name of Jesus until she can stand. I said, now then, walk in the name of Jesus. And we do this over and over, a step or two at a time, and she'd fall down. I pick her back up and say, in the name of Jesus, I command you to walk in Jesus' name. And when that first little social worker come up there and she said, well, I, I, I came to uh, help you all on therapy with Caitlin. By this time, she's sitting on the couch all by herself. This girl walks in, she said, I'm looking for a little three-year-old by the name of Caitlin. I said, honey, that's her sitting right there. That can't be her. I said, honey, what is it? I'm her grandfather. I know who she is. She said, but this information says her brain stem is severed. She can't be setting up like that. I said, well, Caitlin, won't you slide off the couch and walk for her? And she slid off and walked across the floor, and the lady like to fell out. So anyway, we never did need a wheelchair. And now then she's back in school, running and playing, and it's me and her plays. And of course, January the 6th, January the 6th, she was still totally blind. She walked real slow because hold her hands up, she couldn't see anything. Stumble over things. I command her eyes to be see in the name of Jesus. But by January the 6th, still couldn't see a thing. So I thought, well, Lord, I guess you want the church to get see some of this glory. So I said, we moved into a brand new sanctuary. I said, January the 6th, the first day in there, I'm going to give the announcement this morning. In fact, I'm going to tell the uh, youth minister, since we didn't have a pastor at that time at our church, uh, I said, I asked Derek, I said, Derek, would you make an announcement this morning? I would like this afternoon at 2 o'clock for as many people would come, and we're going to bring Caitlin down here. We're going to pray that the Lord will open her eyes. Now, do you think that is a normal request to a youth minister in a Baptist church? Oh, you don't think so, huh? So I asked him to do that, and guess what he forgot to do? He didn't even make the announcement. You think he believed God would open her eyes? You think he was excited as I was about getting it done? No, he didn't believe God. It's unfortunate. We don't believe God. Even those of us in, in positions of authority in the church. So after church was over, that interim pastor, as I walked out, I said, you know, this church don't believe in prayer. He said, what do you mean? I mean, of course we do. I said, no, we don't. I said, just a little while ago, I told Derek, I want a, a special prayer request this afternoon for anybody that would come 
And we pray for my granddaughter because she's totally blind and I want the Lord to open her eyes and I asked him to make that announcement and he forgot it. I said, it hadn't been uh, 30 minutes or an hour since I asked him and he forgot it. So I said, well, I'll be back this afternoon. If nobody shows up, I'll be here with her and her daddy and my son and two or three other people that I've invited. I know some of us will be there. So they were having a dinner. I didn't stay for the dinner. One of the deacons heard about it. He made the announcement. He made the announcement. He called me and said, Thurman, we're so sorry that Derek didn't do that. said, we made the announcement and there will be people here. Okay. So I get back up there at 2 o'clock and about 40 people are there. I take this Bible and I start walking through these scriptures. I said, now first thing today, folks, I know all of us, most of us here are Baptists and I know most of us here have never seen a miracle. But I said, this little girl walking here, those of you that know this story already know this is a miracle right here. I said, and the miracle's not over. I said, I'm going to quote these promises. And I quoted those promises like John 14, 13, 15, 7, 16, 23, and 24, Matthew 18, 19. I quoted six different places in the Word of God where God gave me and you a blank check to prayer. Ask anything you want. And I said, now then I want to take, one, I want each one of you to pray to take one of them promises to come before the king with. And I want you to ask the Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus to restore my grandbaby's sight. And then I want you to thank him for doing it. And I don't want any prayers in here today, if it be your will. I don't want none of that kind of stuff because he made us a promise and gave us a blank check. I said, if you don't believe God's going to do it right now, I want you to go ahead and get up and go home because I don't want you here. I don't want any unbelief in this prayer meeting because everybody's going to see, stay is going to see the glory of God. They all stay. We prayed for over two hours. As we was in that big circle, she'd hear one of us praying and She'd walk across that platform, I mean, across this big old wide floor, little, until she'd hear somebody, until she'd walk up and bump into me. I'd be down on my knees and my face praying, and she'd bump into my side, and she'd stop right there beside Granddaddy. Couldn't see a thing. We all thanked the Lord and praised Him on January the 6th for her eyes. And three weeks later, that little girl can see. What does God do? What can He do? That's right, brother. Who's going to make that happen? We are. He gave us a blank check. He made you the promises. Now then it just comes down to the fact, are we going to believe him? That's the kicker, isn't it? Yes, people say, well, yes, Sermon, I know God can do it for me, but I don't know if he will or not. Well, if you don't know he will, he ain't going to do it for you. Until it becomes a reality to you, you cannot receive something by faith that you don't believe is yours. But the way I read that book, young lady, those promises become mine when I become a believer. Didn't they you? So, all we got to do is make sure our sins are confessed, believe God, stand on his word, and those promises belong to the church. They belong to you. They belong to me. But you have to receive them by faith. Total trust, and it is written. Since I learned these things, I'm going to tell you that I learned reading the Word of God about 15 or 16 years ago that Jesus Christ died on the cross not only to save me, but to heal me and to redeem me from the curse. And I had been sick many times in my life since I was 11. I had had double pneumonia. I'd been down in my back a half a dozen times. I'd had many other things wrong with me. Flu. All kinds of diseases. But 15 or 16 years ago, sitting there studying the Word of God, one night I came upon a promise in John, 
I mean, in Romans 10, 8, 9, and 10, and this is what it said. The Word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. The Word of faith that we preach, that if you will confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart the Father raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Well, I just happened to click in my computer on the word saved, and when I did, the word in the Greek pulled in the word sozo. And then the dictionary pulled in and said the word sozo means saved, healed, delivered, made whole, preserved, and helped. I said, wow, that verse, that word means all those things? Well, that means I could take that word and put it in that statement. The word is near me, it is in my mouth, my miracle is in my mouth. Whatever I confess with my mouth, believe with my heart, I will have it. And if I believe salvation, I'm saved. If I believe I'm healed, I'm healed. If I believe I'm made whole, I'm made whole. If I believe I'm delivered, I'm delivered. If I believe, if I believe, it's mine. And so I looked up the word sozo in the Greek and found out the word sozo was used 120 times in 103 verses in the Word of God. So I went back to Genesis, all the way to Matthew, to Revelation, and read every one of them. And as I did, when I got through reading all those hours later, I said, Lord, I'm more confused right now than I've ever been in my life. I said, if I read this right, you not only saved me on the cross, you healed me on the cross, you delivered me on the cross, you set me free from the curse on the cross, you give me prosperity on the cross, everything is mine. I said, Lord, if that's true, why have I been sick so many times since I accepted you as my Lord and Savior when I was 11 years old? And he spoke to me again in a voice I could hear just as clear. He said, Son, you have never received me as your healer by faith in my word. I said, Lord, you mean I have to do everything by faith? He said, if you get it, you do. That's pretty clear. So I fell on my knees that night, raised my hands, and I said, Father, I see it. You are a faith God. I have to do everything by total trust in your word. So tonight, Father, I just reconfirmed that I received you as my Lord and Savior when I was an 11-year-old boy, but tonight... I receive you as my healer and my deliverer and my provider. And from this day forth, I thank you that I don't never have to be sick again, ever. If you heal me on the cross, then there ain't no use me and you both having them sickness and disease. So from this day forth, Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus that I'm never going to be sick again. Thank you. And I got up and went to work the next morning, walked in, I said, praise God, you guys and gals are looking at a man that ain't never going to have another sick day. And guess what everybody said? That's exactly right. That's exactly what they did. And these are Christians. Thurman, you've always been a religious fanatic. Now you've jumped off the deep end. You know everybody's going to be sick. I said, not me. I said, last night I received Jesus Christ as my healer, and I got it in the Word, and it's now in my heart, and you're looking at a man that ain't never going to have another sick day as long as the Lord lets him live on this earth. And they all laughed at me. And there's some of my Baptist preachers friend said behind my back, you wait till Thurman gets sick, and then we're going to go over and laugh at him. They ain't going to come over and pray with me. They're going to come over and laugh at me. But five years come and went. One of them comes in one day and says, Thurman, I haven't heard anybody say you've been sick. Have you been sick? I said, no. He said, now wait a minute. Maybe this stuff you were telling us about, you've been confessing all this time, maybe it does work. I said, sure it does. Now then, 15 years later, and 63 years old, and I ain't had one sick day in 15 years. Let me tell you, I'm telling you, it works. Now, I'm going to tell you something else. I have probably missed a half a dozen good cases to be sick, if you know what I mean. I wake up one morning, and the enemy's there, brother, and he's got a pain in my head. 
and he's working on my throat. And I wake up and say, oh, Lord, I'm going to thank you and praise you that you healed me on the cross. Satan, I know who you are now, and you ain't got no legal right, and you can't go beyond what I say with my tongue. Because the Word of God says in James chapter 3 that my tongue will defile my entire body. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. So, Lord, I want to confess one more time that you're my healer, and you're my Lord, and you're my God. And I want to confess that First John 4, 4 says, Greater is the Holy Spirit that's in me than the devil that's in here trying to make me sick. So I said, Satan, in the name of Jesus, get out. I'm fixing to get up and go to work, and I'm going to have a blessed day today in the name of Jesus. And I get up and get ready to go to work, and sometimes it's gone that quick, and sometimes it takes till I get to my truck nearly, but never more than 15 or 20 minutes. That devil is gone, and I ain't had not one sick day. In fact, two years ago, I had a great test. I'm out in my shop one Saturday getting one of my trucks ready for an inspection sticker. I come wheeling around the corner, and all of a sudden in my back, I hear just like that, and it was the most excruciating pain. I Back like in the days when I used to be down in my back, and I fell over the hood of that truck with a pain so severe I couldn't even begin to stand up. And I looked up and smiled, and I said, Father, I want to thank you for one more opportunity to prove that greater is the Holy Spirit that's in me than the devil that just hit me in the back. I said, I want to thank you and praise you because in James chapter 1 and 1 Peter chapter 1, you said, consider all these trials and tests pure joy, which is building my faith in you, which is more precious to you than gold. So I said, Lord, I want to praise you for this test. I want to praise you and thank you that Jesus, according to Isaiah 53, 4, he bore my pain on the cross. And I want to thank you that in Isaiah 53, 5, you said, with his stripes I was healed. Then I want to thank you and praise you in Matthew 8, 16 and 17. You said you could cast out the devils with a word and that you came to fulfill what was written by the prophet Isaiah himself. Jesus bore my sickness and removed my disease. So I want to thank you, Lord, that it's done. Now then, Satan, what is it you don't understand about Luke 10, 20, where Jesus said, you have to be subject to me, you beast. I said, now get out of my back in the name of Jesus. That scorpion that just pierced my back, that put that excruciating pain in me, I command you to leave me. Now I'm fixing to stand up and I'm going to walk off from here, and I'm going to do everything I wanted to do today, and I'm going to do it with no pain, because Jesus bore it and paid the price for me. It's done. I pushed myself up, and I turned, and that devil said, I'm going to show you this don't work. And I couldn't hardly stand, but I said, thank you, Lord, for doing it. It's done. And I took the second step, and by the time I got to the third step, I'm walking full bore, and I ain't never had a pain since. Now, that's the way you get it done. That's the way you get it done. The Lord has allowed me to be put to the test many times to prove his word works. And, of course, this test with Caitlin and Kelly, these two precious little girls, which are now the other night as I played with my granddaughter as we ran around that house, as she is almost back to just like she used to be. Her little legs are running four years old now. And as she runs through that house and hides from granddaddy and all the things that we used to do before that accident, most people come to see us now, they say, I don't believe this. Well, let me tell you, if you can't believe it when you see it, then you sure can't believe it when you see her laying there and the doctors are all telling you she's going to die tonight. But when you can believe it then, it won't be no problem believing it. You know what I do when I... The first thing when she comes running out to the truck when I drive in in the afternoon and she comes running out, hold her little hands up to give that granddaddy a kiss, you know what the first thing I do when I step out of that truck? I fall on my knees and say, Lord, I want to worship you. Because I know this baby that I'm looking at is a direct miracle from you. Nobody could have done this. This is the greatest ever doctor in the world told me she couldn't live. And I have fought the fight of faith all the way through with no doubt in my heart. And you have raised her and Kelly up and you have blowed them away, God. And I want to tell you how much I love you and praise you and worship you, Father. And I want you to know that I'm yours. 
and I'll go anywhere you want me to go, and I'll do anything you want me to do. But all I'm saying is I don't want to be a normal Christian. I want to see the glory of God where I go and teach your word. I expect you to show up and do the same thing for others you have done for me because that's what you sent your son to die on that cross for. So, Father, I worship you. It's easy for me to worship the king. Yes. You just holding your hand up? Okay. Has anybody... It's uh, 136. I don't know. Y'all been... I didn't realize we've been sitting here this long. But you might want to get up. You might want to walk around. I want to tell you that I've got all kinds of audio and video tapes back there. I give away my tapes. I don't put any price on anything. I never have. But I do have a donation box back there if you want to give. If you want to give to the ministry, that's fine. If you don't take what you want anyway, it's free. I don't sell anything. Never have. So whatever you want, take it. If you want to help the, uh, the ministry, that's okay too. But it's totally up to you. But also, if there's anybody here today, if you want to be healed from something or you have a prayer request, anything, if you want to come up here, I will believe God with you. And I guarantee you, if you'll come with me and believe God, I guarantee if you got your sins confessed, he'll hear our prayer and he'll heal or do answer your prayer. That's the kind of God, but you got to believe him. You can't come up here and say, oh God, Thurman, would you pray for me and let's see what God will do. Forget it. I won't even pray with you. I, because I, when I pray with you, I want to see your, I want to see an answer. I'm getting to the point now, if I don't see God answer every one of my prayers, I want to know what I did wrong or what that other person done wrong. If you can't come and get prayers answered, since he said every one of the answers are yes every time, then I messed up. I did something wrong. I might tell you before we pray for you, one other story about five years ago. I had a good friend of mine. He was 58 years old. He was diagnosed with brain tumors. They sent him to the hospital. I went to see him. He didn't know me. He looked like he was 75 years old. And I, they sent him down to San Antonio to a specialist, took the top of his head off. It's full of brain tumors. And they put it back and said, he'll die. There ain't nothing we can do. Well, I, they sent him to the rest home to die. So I went down there, and knowing what I know from this book, I walked in. I, when I walked in, it was his wife, which was the third woman he'd been married to. When I walked in, I met her. Didn't know her. I knew his other two wives because he was a good friend of mine in high school, a very good friend. I walked in there, and she told me who she was. And, of course, he just sat there in the chair, totally out of it. Didn't know, know nothing or nobody. I said, where have you and Pete been going to church? Well, she said, we go to the First Baptist Church over in Star. I said, well, good. I said, how, how many times y'all been? Well, she said, four or five. I said, four or five times? I can't bless it. He used to be a youth leader in the church. He was a Sunday school teacher. I said, I can't believe that you and him have only been to church four or five times this year. This was like in June or something. He said, oh, Thurman, we've only been to church four or five times since we've been married in ten years. I said, I can't believe that. He said, I don't believe you have to go to church to serve God. How many of you heard people tell you that? I'm telling you, that ain't what the Word of God says, is it, brother? The Word of God says in Hebrews 10:25, Forsake not the gathering of yourselves together on a regular basis, as a manner of some are. So he wants you to be in his house. Why do you think God wants you to be in his house? Sure, so he can send anointed men and women that he can train to, by, to teach you how the Word of God works. That's what he wants you to be in his house for. And if you're out there running around the world, guess what you're going to learn? That's right, brother. And that don't produce nothing, does it? Death. That's exactly right. Death. So anyway... I spent all day long praying and reading the Word of God to that man. And finally, late that afternoon, I spent five or six hours. I drove, just like I did today, coming down here. I was a little further. I drove about three and a half hours to where he was, spent five or six hours with him, and then I asked him one question. I said, Pete, after I'd prayed for him, commanded the devil to leave him, everything I knew to do, I said, who am I? 
he kind of turned and looked right at me and said, you're a sermon scripture. I said, praise God, you're going to, you're healed. I got it. I said, thank you, Lord, it's done. I left there Monday afternoon. I am on cloud nine. They called me Thursday and said he died. I said, what? He died? Anyway, Sunday. said, we're going to bury him Sunday. So Sunday I went back down there and I went to his funeral. After the funeral, I went by myself. And three and a half hours back home, and I, as soon as I got in my car, I said, now, Lord, I don't understand how I missed this one. I said, Lord, I did everything you told me to do in your word. Everything. And I did it by faith, or at least I thought I did. I said, it's obvious I messed up somewhere, Lord. I want to know where I messed up because I don't like to mess up when I pray for people. Lord, please tell me what I did wrong. And I said, thank you for the answer. And nothing. I did that for two and a half hours. I mean, I believe God will talk to me, sir. I've heard him. So, I mean, I, I want an answer. He said to them that diligently seek me, right? Two and a half hours later, I said, Lord, I mean, i got to have an answer. I ain't going away until I get my answer. I said, you're the one putting me in this healing business. I said, now, Lord, if I mess up somewhere, i got to know where I made a mistake, and only you know. So I said, Lord, I don't want to do this again. So would you please tell me the answer? I said, thank you for the answer. He said, just as clear as a bell, he said, son, you didn't miss it. He said, your answer is in John 15, 2. Now, after the story I just told you, turn to John 15, 2 and see how, what, how you would interpret that. be very interesting to see if you re- interpret it like I did. John 15, 2. What does that say? Woo, is that scary or is that scary, brother? Well, you think he really meant that? So why is it so many Christians don't produce no fruit? Where is the fruit produced on the vine? On the branches. Who's the branches? We are. What does he say? What does he say in John 15, 1? And... Okay, read on. Every branch of me that bears not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. So, okay, so if you're out there doing the Lord's work, when he reaches up and he cuts off an arm, when he allows the devil to kill your wife and your daughter, I'm telling you, when he prunes you like that, brother, it hurts. But out of that, he brought forth the greatest miracle I'm going to tell you that those miracles that came out of the, all of those babies, there was a half a dozen beside my two that came through Cook's Medical. It is such a well-documented event that I have had people call me from all over that said they never saw a miracle, but when they came to Cook's, I've, I've had people, I've had people from all over that hospital, I've had people that worked in the hospital. In fact, one of the ladies that works in ICU, her husband works for me. And the night that she came home, Saturday night, she told her husband, Dan, said, Dan, Thurman's grandbaby is over in the hospital and there's nothing we can do for her. She's going to die. He says, good. She said, what do you mean, good? He said, I have been telling you out here at work of the miracles that happens when Thurman prays for people. And said, you've always just rolled your eyes and said, sure, Dan. He said, I'm going to guarantee you're going to see the glory of God. said, that little girl, there ain't no way that little girl will die. She said, Dan, there's nothing we can do. He said, like I told you. She said, you go, Dan, you got to come serious. He said, no, I ain't going to go serious. He said, Dan, this little girl's totally destroyed. He said, I ain't going to walk in that room because if I do, it's going to falter in my face. But right now, without seeing her, I know that God's going to raise her up. I've seen him do too many miracles at work when Thurman prays for people. So I know God's going to do it. But I ain't going to go see her. 
Well, about four weeks later, she come in and she said, Dan, you work for the craziest man I have ever seen in my life. What do you mean, the craziest man? She said, this guy has walked through this hospital over here and we tell these parents that these babies cannot live and this guy goes in and prays for them and in turns to the parents and guarantees them the babies will get well. And he said, and? And she said, well, so far, every one of them has lived. He said, so what's so crazy about that? She said, I, I, just don't, I just don't understand how he can do that. If God makes you the promise, you get your sins confessed, you come to him clean, and then go do what he says, then what do you, who are you going to believe? The doctor or the God? If you want to see a miracle, you do. So if you believe God and you walk in, once you get these people's sins confessed, like that little Bray Reed, for instance, about the third week I was over there, Little Bray, his daddy come and asked me if I'd come pray for him, and I walked into that room. This little guy was two and a half years old. He was born in Cooks and had never been home. I walked into that room with his daddy, and that little kid was laying there just squirming and, and sweating. And I looked over at him, and that nurse standing right beside the bed, I reached over that little thing, and I put my hands on his shoulders, and I said, You devil of hell! I command you in the name of Jesus, come out of him and go to the pit of hell and don't you ever come back in Jesus' name. I said, now, Father, i got both hands on him, so he's well. I said, thank you, Lord, for your word. I turned to Daddy and I said, guarantee you, boy, we'll get well. And in two weeks, Bray Reed went home from the hospital. First time in two and a half years. Does God's word work? I think it's time we as a church start believing God, don't you? So if you people here that are born again Christians, you get a person or something that's sick or afflicted or in the hospital, go down to that hospital, quote that word, lay hands on them, and command that sickness to leave them in the name of Jesus, and then thank the Father for his promises. And they walk off and say, it's done because God said it. Guess what you're going to start seeing when you start doing it like that? Miracle. That's right. He's going to do the same thing for you he does for me. You were ready for that, are you? But you got to believe him, young lady. You gotta believe him. But do you know what the first thing's gonna happen? First day you go to do that, do you know what's gonna happen? This is what you're gonna hear. You old wicked person, you, <laughs> you don't really think God's gonna do anything wonderful. You, do you remember when you was this age, you did this wrong and you did this wrong? You remember all those wicked things you did? Who do you think that is? Sure it is. The liar. I hear that regular. But I don't ever believe him no more. I know who I am in Christ. In Christ, I am the righteousness of God. I'm a joint heir with the king of the universe. I'm already seated in the third heaven with my king, and you are too. So start acting like a princess, a king's daughter, with all power and authority. And when you do that, guess what you're going to see happen? Miracles and healings and deliverances and things. Anybody have any questions? Or does anybody want me to pray for them? If you want me to pray for you, yes, I we, we take, you have any one of those promises you'd like to use. Would you like that? 
take one of those promises and you and me stand on it, and I guarantee it. Okay. Stand up here. Let's you and me pray. What's your name, honey? Sheila. Sheila. Father, in the name of Jesus, Sheila and I come to you. We're your son and your daughter. And Father, you told us that you, you, she has locked onto one of these promises. And that John 14, 13, you told her anything she asks is hers. And you also told me to lay hands on the sick and they'll get well. So, Lord, with those two promises, I'm standing in agreement with Sheila, your daughter, that this daughter of yours is healed now from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet. And, Lord, I want to thank you and praise you for restoring everything in there that has, was messed up and hurt due to this incident. And I thank you and praise you it's done in Jesus' name. All you need to do now, Sheila, is just praise him and thank him. And it won't be no time at all till that thing will be normal. All right. You, you have to believe him if you want it to work. All right. Anybody else? Come up here and let's pray for you, whatever your problem is. Oh. To them that any, did you realize that in Romans 14, 23, the word of God says anything that's not of faith is sin and to them that doubt you're damned already? That's kind of scary, isn't it? Yes. So, but I've just, my heart's been broken. Sure. Because I've realized. How much you didn't believe the king. And that is sin. That is absolute sin. So I saw you that way, you broken heart. I knew you had one. I knew the Lord was working on your heart when I was talking. I could right. see it. But I also have, uh, I've been struggling with my In the name of Jesus, Father, I lay hands on this lady's back. You said lay hands on the sick and they'll get well. Now, Father, from the top of this lovely daughter's of yours head, from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet, I ask you to do a complete Jesus overhaul on her. You know everything that's wrong with her, Father. I don't, but you do. So I ask you to completely heal and restore everything in her because you've come to give her abundant life. And so, Father, she has repented of her unbelief. And now that we believe, and she's in agreement with me, I can see her face mountain high, so Father, in the name of Jesus, there's nothing in the world to keep this lovely daughter of yours from receiving her complete healing right now, in the name of Jesus. We thank you and praise you. It's done, in Jesus' name. You just praise him and thank him for the answer. Begin to read his word and worship him, and I guarantee you're healed, in Jesus' name. What do you need, honey? I'm you just want Jesus to do a complete overhaul on you? What's your name? Connie. Connie. Father, in the name of Jesus, another one of your daughters, she's confessed her sins of unbelief, and now she's believing you, Father. She believes your word. And so, Father, from the top of Connie's head to the bottom of her feet, I ask you to do a complete Jesus overhaul on her and repair and fix everything, all these problems she's had since she was in her early 20s. And he does the work. The easy part's our part. All we got to do is the simple part. He does the work. You know, there's a lady, a lady that uh, six years ago, she was 64 years old. She walked in to a cafeteria where I was, and I knew the lady. I knew she was a Christian. She had these two great big wraps on her arm. I said, what is wrong with you? And she said, well, I've got corporal tunnel in both arms. And I said, well, what can they do about it? She said, well, Thurman, I'm 64 years old. At my age, they said nothing. I said, honey, how would you like for Jesus to heal you? Now, right in the middle of a cafeteria with 30 or 40 people in it, she said, well, I would love it because she was standing in the door. I said, come over here to my table. And she starts over my table, and I'm telling you, it got quiet. You could hear a pin drop in that cafeteria. That little 64-year-old lady walked up to my table, and I was eating a bowl of cereal that morning. I just laid my spoon down. I reached up and laid my hand on her arm. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, you said lay hands on the sick and they'll get well. So I said, Lord, I ask you to, to, lay, to do a complete healing on this woman from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet. I said, thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, it's done. 
and instantly he reached down from heaven and healed her carpal tunnel and all of her dizziness and all of her pain and everything went away and I didn't know she began to jump and dance and her pain was gone her dizziness was gone and everything from the pills but three months later that little woman walked into my office she said Thurman you remember the exact words you prayed that morning when you prayed for me when the Lord healed my carpal tunnel I said no ma'am I don't she said you said Father in the name of Jesus do a complete healing on this woman from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet I said so what difference does it make he healed you she said, but what you don't understand, I've had a hernia for years. And said, I've noticed the last few weeks, it's gone. So she said, I went to the doctor this last week, and I had them do a physical on me. She said, I had several things wrong with me. And she said, the report came back today from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. Not one single thing wrong with me. That's been nearly six years ago. That woman comes back to the retirement party. She retired the next year from our company. And... Just a few months ago, I saw her, and I said, Edith, how are you doing? She said, oh, Thurman, praise God. She said, I'm better shaped now than I was when I was 50. She said, I'm telling you, she's 70 now. 70 years old, blowing and going, and better shape than she was, she's 50. Jesus, when you do it by faith, it works. Yes, brother. Um, I've got two sisters that I've been praying for for salvation, and uh, one of them, I mean, I, I haven't seen it, and not that I have to see it, but... One of them has had abortion and uh, just a lot of immorality in her life. And, and I walked in kind of late, but this, you know, you quoted Second Corinthians 1, 18 to 20, God always answers. Sure. Well, let me tell you what the problem is with those girls. I can tell you, when I learned this, I was able to get many people saved. I made a tape back there called Spiritual Warfare, an audio tape, and I think I have a few of the outlines with me that will go through that in detail. But when I used to pray for people and couldn't get people saved, I'd ask the Lord, Lord, I don't understand why I can't get people saved. Why? And I tell people about the best thing ever happened to me, and they're not interested. They just walk off. I said, what is that? So the Lord led me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. When I got to 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, it says, if there's any lost on this earth, they're lost because the God of this world, which is Satan, has blinded their minds to the gospel. So... If Satan has blinded her mind to the gospel and Satan has to be subject to us, what you need to learn how to do is to catch yourself up into the spirit where you're seated in Christ in the third heaven, take your brother Jesus, walk into the throne room of God and worship and praise the king from up there and then command the devil to come into that realm because he's standing right there accusing you day and night according to Revelation 12, 10 and 11. You command the devil to come in and then you speak to him directly and say, Satan, I got two sisters down on earth that you've been sending those spiritual wickedness and them demons on earth to blind their mind and from this day forth you ain't going to have them girls no more, you devil. Do you hear me? In the name of Jesus, Satan, I have been given authority over you because Jesus clearly told me in Luke 10, 20 that I have power to trample on you and all power is given to me over you. And you have to be subject to me. So Satan, in the name of Jesus, I am commanding you in the presence of my father and my brother I am commanding you to take those spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies out there that are transmitting power and authority to my sisters on earth, to the demons down there blinding their mind. I am commanding you to stop it in the name of Jesus. Now, you will not do that no more. Now, then those demons, since they're not able to get that power and authority down there no more, you demons of hell, I command those demons that have been tormenting my sisters and holding them in doubt and unbelief to leave them in the name of Jesus and go to the pit of hell and stay there in Jesus' name. Now, Father... I ask you to send the Holy Spirit that's down on earth to begin to convict my sisters of sin and draw them into the kingdom of God. Now, Father, I also ask you to send the proper labor 
over there. Now then, Lord, if that labor can be me, use me. But if it's not me, you know exactly who it is. So you send the correct labor to my two sisters and bring them into the kingdom. Now, Father, I want to thank you and praise you that I prayed this prayer completely according to the Word of God. So you said that if I pray anything in accordance with your will, which I know this is in accordance with your will, you hear me and I have my answer. So I want to thank you for saving both my sisters in Jesus' name. Um, okay, I have a second thing I was going to ask you. You just said you prayed according to his will. Yeah. But earlier you said, don't pray if it be your will. Well, you don't ever pray if it be his will. You find out what his will is. And you know for salvation he came to die for the sins of the whole world. So you know what his will is in that case. You see where I'm coming from? Yes, because the scripture says anything we ask him that's in accordance with his will. Well, you go to the word of God and find out what his will is. You know, healing is his will every time for every believer. Well, sometimes in prison, um, I have a class and, and I'll have guys just stand up and they'll want to pray for somebody that everybody knows isn't right with God. Mm-hmm. And they'll want to pray for healing for this person. And there's a lot of religious spirits in the prison. And I'll have one of them raise up and say, Now remember, anything we ask, we get. We get. Well, but as long as he's in sin, it's not God's will to lift that off him. That's probably what God put on him to bring him. But, but what if, if one of those men pray that prayer in faith, God could reach over and touch that man and heal him right there. It's zapping. And you talk about changing. You talk about that Buddhist couple that I prayed for last week. You talk about... When he walks in the office yesterday, you talk about making a change in that boy's life. He's got a wife that's down. He's a Buddhist. He would never come to a prayer meeting. But I guaranteed him the Lord loved him and his wife and wanted to heal him. And all he needed was a man that's willing to pray the prayer of faith. And he healed that woman. But he believed so it's your, it's huh? your faith that's going to heal them. That's right. Not, not in anything that they've done that's righteous because we're all unrighteous. So what you're well, once we get born again, we're not. Once we get born again, don't you slap God in the face with that. When you say, God, I'm unrighteous, boy, you say, do you, what do you mean calling what I've declared clean and righteous? What do you mean calling yourself unrighteous? He says, do you not know that when you died on the cross, I mean, when Jesus died on the cross, He died as your substitute that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ? The minute you made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, He now sees you through the blood of His Son. And when he looks at you, he sees a righteous instrument. You Don't you ever come to God and say, God, I'm unworthy. If you, want, if you want to get a prayer not answered, you just tell him that. God, I'm not righteous. I wish I could be righteous. He said, that's right. If you don't know any more about the Word of God than that, he said, I am not going to answer your prayer. If I took my son and sent him down there and he paid the price for you and made you the righteousness of God in Christ and you come telling me you are not the righteousness of God in Christ, he said, don't ask me for anything. That's right. you got to see yourself like God sees you. God sees you. So, since God sees you like that, you should start acting like that. You should be holy. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, I ask you to, to completely restore this problem, this problem that she has in her side. I ask you to restore it, I mean to heal it, and ask you to take away all of her pain. And I ask you, Lord, from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet, just do a great and mighty work of restoration in this little body and just raise it up and straighten it up because with you, Lord, nothing is impossible. And Satan, I demand in the name of Jesus that you take your hands off of this little body. 
and that, Lord, that your Holy Spirit restore and make this body perfectly normal in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. Believe God. Yes, praise the Lord. Yes, ma'am. Who? Well, the same. Sure. Who do you think it is that comes and puts those thoughts in your mind? I'm going to tell you the night, the first time I walked up to a man's hospital room years ago, it had stage four lymphoma, terminal cancer, and they opened him up and looked inside and told him it's all over, in a few weeks you'll be gone. And I walked up there and his wife told me that. The Lord spoke to me and said, I'm just clear as a bell. The Lord says, tell Ed to call the men of the church to pray over him and I'll heal him. Wow. I, I mean, I had never seen a man healed of terminal cancer. I'd seen some little things, you know, like warts come off and little odds and things, but not a terminal cancer patient. So I went home and began to read the Word of God. And then I come up on this magnificent promise in James 5.14. James 5.14, the Lord says, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church, have them pray over him, and anoint him with oil, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The prayer offered how? In faith will make the sick person well. When I read that, I said, Wow, Lord, that's almost what you said. And then I heard this. Oh, you have just read that before. And that was in your subconscious. That really wasn't God speaking to you. Now, who do you think that was? You know who it was. See, He's always there to deceive you. But you've got a choice to make. Who are you going to believe? The Word? Or what you see or hear? Who are you going to believe? Well, I'm going to tell you. When you believe the Word, you see miracles. Ma'am? Oh, you got to act on it, yeah. I mean, you can, you can, it's just like a man in a Sunday school class called me the other day and said, Thurman, come in here. I said, okay, I walked in. He said, why is it when you lay hands on the sick, people get healed? I said, well, brother, when's the last time you laid hands on some sick person and expect them to get well? He said, well, I have never done that. I said, that's why you don't never see it. I put actions to my faith because James said, if I don't put actions, it's dead. He said, I never thought about that. I said, you want to see people getting healed? Get healed, just start going out and looking for people that need something and pray for them and then expect it to happen. And that's what you do. What do you need to pray for? Father, what's your name? Connie. Another Connie here. Father, in the name of Jesus, your daughter here, Connie, comes with me and we come in agreement with the Word of God, Lord. In the name of Jesus, ask you to reach into Connie's body from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet and remove her pain and her digestive problem and make everything in her work perfect in Jesus' name. Lord, because in the name of Jesus, you said whatever we speak in the name of Jesus, we shall have it. So it's done. Do you believe him? I believe him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's done. That's all you got to do is believe the Lord. It's really quite simple. What do you need, young lady? I've been in and out of hospitals and sickness all my life. When I came here nine years ago, and asked the Lord to remove all the medications, I was on eight every day. He took seven. I don't have a I never thought that this sitting in this We don't think that big, do we? So he's a faith God. Yes, if you don't yes, ask him about faith and then thank him for the answer. <clears throat> I knew, a, knew of a man one time that had a uh, pancreas that had been dead 37 years, been on insulin. Mm. We took Mark 11, 23, and 24. 
where the Lord says, Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe you have received it, and it shall be yours. Ask the Lord to build him a new pancreas, thank him for it, and every day the man, when he'd check his pancreas, when he'd check his insulin and all that stuff, he said, Lord, thank you that my pancreas is working. Thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus. And in two years, his pancreas was working completely, totally, completely off of insulin, and the man never stuck another drop of insulin mm-hmm. the rest of his life. But yet that had been available to him all of those years. Mm-hmm. But he never dreamed to have the faith to ask God to remake his pancreas. I'm telling you, we think God is some cosmic, cosmic bellhop up there that can't do nothing. Right. We don't realize who he is. He made me. <laughs> sure he did. Well, here's how I thought. Well, when I, if, if the world comes to a place where I can't get medicine anymore, God will just repair me where I can make He won't unless you believe him by faith. Guaranteed. He's a faith God. See, I believe him for all the other things. Sure, and he did it. Yes, he did. See, I'm going to tell you that God will allow each one of us to lay there and die in our sickness and disease and never move a hand. But when you come to him on his word, I've done this with people that have been sick. I've, I've had seen people who had problems and... I've, I've seen I've seen the Lord remove scars where surgeries had been done, Amen. you know, but they never never dreamed about asking for that. Right. I said, "Well, sure, no problem." So we just take a verse and we pray and ask the Lord to do it. And a week or two or three, the scars gone. Just like little Kelly, little Kelly, the other when, on her birthday, when she was seven, the little girl was in a car accident. This, uh, I went over to see her birthday and I asked her, I said, "Honey, how you doing?" She flopped her hair and she said, "Mr. Thurman." Only got one scar right across here left. Everything else is okay. I'm running, playing, doing everything, but I got this scar. I said, oh, and the Father wants to take that off. And I just reached up like I laid my hand right there. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to remove that scar. And I thank you and praise you it's done because it's written in your word. Sunday morning, a month later, her and her mama come and sat down beside me at church. When they sat down, mama says, look at that, Thurman. No scar. Do we serve an awesome God? Why don't we believe him? So you're, I think maybe you even got enough faith now. You can believe him for a new thyroid. You're there, right? Woo, glory. I love it, but he got this guy to say. What's your name? Joanna. Joanna. Father, your daughter Joanna comes to you and I come to you, Lord. We're, we're combining our faith for Joanna, a new thyroid. Lord, not only a thyroid, but anything else in her. The devil beat up on her soul all those years. Father, I ask you to restore all the years to her that the cotton picking canker worm had eaten. Lord, just give her, the, let her last years be fruitful for you and your kingdom as her thyroid works. And not only that, but everything in her body yes. works perfect so she can serve you and do great and mighty things for the kingdom of God. And we thank you and praise you for restoring and making not only her thyroid work, but everything else that needs to be restored to make it work perfect. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Yeah. So you just begin to worship him and praise him every day and thank him for your answer. That's what you need to do. Now, the thing, if you really want to see God do great things for you, worship Him and praise Him all the time. You know, in the morning when you wake up, get up, fall on your knees or whatever and tell Him how much you love Him. And how, Yes, all right, praise God. But even if you do that, He's still a faith God. He said, you have not because you ask not. But then again, because you ask not in faith. So see, when you ask in faith, that's all He's waiting for. He said, my daughter, all I'm waiting for you to do is ask in faith. Just like all these other miracles. I just told you all a handful of stuff today compared to what I've seen. But how long was all those people's answers there? Forever. Yeah, but they didn't know. It's like I didn't. For years I didn't know either. But I'm learning now. So praise God. Amen. Yes, ma'am. Unbelief also. We're all unbelievers, don't you say, brother? 
Yeah, we are. We really are. And he said, you bless me from the head of the... Top of the head to the bottom of the feet. That's what I need. That's what you need, a Jesus overall. I got so many complaints. Okay. I suggested how to say uh, bronze, 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 Father, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke these spirits of hell that have attacked this daughter of yours with these heart problems and these bone spurs that all come from the devil. Satan, I rebuke you and I command you to come out of her and go to the pit and stay there in the name of Jesus. Now, Father, I ask you to send the Holy Spirit in here to restore and heal everything in your daughter's body. I ask you to make everything in her body work perfect. I ask you to make all the glands and everything work perfect. I ask you to help her control what she eats and everything, Lord, so that as she ex- exercises and everything, her body will begin to slim down and she'll get slim where she can have all that freedom to go and do the things she needs to do to be a great and awesome woman for the kingdom of God. And may her last years on this earth be very fruitful. And I speak a blessing of health and prosperity from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet over this daughter of yours in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you and praise you for completely healing her in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just believe God. I want you to pray for me. Okay. No, that's okay. Uh, no, I want to confess uh, unbelief also. And uh, uh, I had open heart surgery here a couple years ago, and the Lord has just done great. I mean, uh, you know, uh, you know, we keep saying to the doctors, but actually it was the Lord. Mm-hmm. I knew the Lord healed me. He gave me a scripture in uh, uh, I think it's Psalm 73. You know, uh, that, uh, the Lord has strengthened my life and, you know, my fortune forever. Mm-hmm. And I've hung on that. And, uh, I want to get slowly removed off of all medications and, uh, I'm on high blood pressure stuff and, you know, the cholesterol stuff and all that. And, uh, I don't want to have to be dependent on any kind of medications or herbal stuff or whatever. And I just want to be totally dependent on him. All you got to do is believe. How old are you? Uh, 58. 58? Yes, sir. You're just a youngster. Amen. <laughs> What's your name, sir? Henry. Henry. Father, your son, Henry, he comes to you, Lord. He wants to confess, first of all, his unbelief. Because, Lord, he's just like all of us. He realizes that many times, just like I did for years, I didn't believe your word. But, Lord, he's recognized that too now, and he wants to confess that it's sin. And he wants you, to, Lord, to do a great and mighty work in his life of restoration and healing and use him greatly and mightily for the kingdom of God. Now, Lord, I speak a blessing upon Henry. I ask you to bless him in health and prosperity and and knowledge and wisdom and everything from your word. And may you use Henry and his life mightily for the kingdom of God. May you just open their hearts and, and understanding to the word of God so that this couple can truly walk in complete health before you because that's what you came to do, give us abundant life. And Lord, I ask you to impart it to him in the name of Jesus. And then show them everything they need to do to walk holy before you and walk in the abundant life that you provided. So I worship you and praise you and thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Just believe the Lord, and you just believe the Lord. That's what you need to do. Anybody else need to be healed? Need to prayer?